Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spooky Stacks. Spooky. Our second spooky week of 2021. Uh, I guess there have been lots of spooky weeks in 2021, but this is, this is the fun kind of spooky. Yeah, most of 2021 has been scary. Yeah, scary, not spooky. We, we just want yeah, the spooky. different. A little, a little bit of spookiness. I think we can all handle that. You can that. have spooky without scary. <laughs> uh, or without the kind of scary. And I'm Shanna. Yeah. Uh, and our first film this week is Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, the 1992 sequel to Tetsuo, uh, The Iron Man, and um, sort of a remake, sort of. Sort of, yeah, kind of, a little bit. It's a, like a, a different take the of the same, same but concept. different story, yeah. Yeah, very similar concept, but analyzing a few different ideas through the same lens and... With some of the same setup and some of the same actors. Yeah, wasn't um, wasn't our main guy the same guy too? I know the, uh, I guess, villain was the same. I think the new guy is maybe different, but he does look very similar, and he's certainly made up to look similar. Like he has the exact same outfit and hairdo, but I don't know if it was the same actor. Let me just check on that actually. Because something about his facial expressions really reminded me of the first guy when he was uh, jamming out to the industrial music that he didn't want to jam out to. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, no, it is him in both of them. Uh, okay. I, I guess it's really weird that the series is named Tetsuo because his character's name is not Tetsuo. And in the first one, he doesn't even have a name. No, in the first one, he's just man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so nobody's in this called one, Tetsuo that I know of. Right. In this one, he's Taniguchi Tamu. But yeah, it's the same guy in both of them. Playing uh, the same but different characters. Yeah, and it's actually the actor's real name. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. The, uh, the actor is born uh, Tamu Taguchi. Uh, but his like main name that like the name that he uses in the films is Tomoro Taguchi. Uh, but yeah, he is born Tomu Taguchi, so that's interesting. Uh, this this character is just named after him. But yes, it's it's all the same characters because it's Shinya Sukamoto, who is the director, who's the metal fetishist in both of them. Although he's a very different character in this. He's one. completely in, he he's not the same person. At all. Yeah, like maybe the biggest changes are to his character and just how all of his plans work. Whereas, like, it's kind of a similar <laughs> level of antagonism. Well, yeah. Or they're, it's more that they're recognizable here. Like, this has more of a uh, an identifiable narrative than the first film. Oh, yeah. This one's a lot more coherent for, I'll say, for better or worse. Yeah, and and like I would say that this movie is definitely less beloved than the first one, uh, and very likely because it's so much similar. Like it, it has so many similarities, but it's also a lot more conventional in a lot of ways. Like I, uh, I didn't think I was watching anything groundbreaking. I just thought I was watching a cool. Cool kind of action movie. This is more action than horror. This isn't really a horror movie at all, almost. Well, there's a few things. There, there's, <laughs> there's a few there's things. Some uh, like, 
it, it also helps to have been watching a bunch of horror recently. But um, <laughs> the, this one, uh, in terms of the actors as well, the wife is also from the previous one, but she didn't play the wife in the last one. She was the subway woman. Oh, I thought I... I thought she looked familiar, but I was like, that's that's not the wife, though, is it? Right. Yeah, she's, she's the subway lady, the the lady who had the mutant thing on her arm in the subway who attacked him. Oh, so okay. that's interesting that, like, all three of the main characters uh, recur from the first one. There's a lot more characters in this one, but a lot mostly don't matter. Right. They're all just kind of thugs. Uh, most of them don't even have names, as far as I can tell. They're just the minions of the metal fetishist. Uh, so I guess starting like where we start is Tamu. The, he, he is again, just a random drunk salary man at the start. And for some reason he's traveling through a sewer at the start. Like he's in a sewer tunnel. Was that him? I thought that was, it's both of them. somebody. So oh, it's him. Oh, and oh, then, you mean the one who's, Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I think it's both of them. Maybe it isn't Tamu, but I think it was him just wandering drunk in the tunnel. And uh, definitely the metal fetishist is following him doing finger guns. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> see, yeah, I thought I thought that was just some rando in the it subway. could be, but the the thing is, no, no, it's definitely him because... Okay, so first he's doing the finger guns, and it's it just like he keeps looking back. He's like, "This is weird," and then he actually manages to shoot with them, like an an actual gun fires. Uh, yeah, somehow, we don't see how at face. this point. Right. I I figured he just shot his finger at him, but that's not yeah. what it ended up being. And, like, the thug who's with him, like, touches his chest. And I think the guy who's with him at this point is the doctor who is, like, oh. the other chief bad guy. Like, Yeah, that guy. Who, the, the, the two of them, yeah, who, who kind of they develop this uh, cult together, I guess. They seem to be it, the cult leaders. It feels like a cult. It's like a it, bodybuilder cult. Yeah, or, like... It's like a bodybuilder cult, but with a weird. Um, they, they also seem like like a like a little bit of a death cult. Too. Oh yeah, I was getting Amshin Rikio vibes, but this For would have sure. been made before their their major thing that they did. What this? Yeah, I guess so. Because this is ninety two, and that happened. I mean, that, that, was, that was short. Okay, shortly after. Yeah. yeah, pretty shortly after. But they would have been around, and probably this would be post their first. Uh, campaign like the first presidential campaign so oh, i would right. say that they would have been... even did that you know yeah. it could be kind of inspired by them a little bit i wouldn't be surprised because i mean circa 92 when did earthbound come out earthbound was earthbound inspired was 95. By the... so yeah 95 as well but there that one like it came out having already been aware of them for some time they were in the mm -hmm. culture but why i think this is to move in this first part is because right after we see well well first the the guy like i think it's the doctor touches the metal fetishist's chest and we there's like this machine crashing sound and we get an inside view again very similar to the first film this one yeah this is like he's got this mechanical heart but and instead of arteries he's got like these 
tubes coming out of it, like um, like it looks like duct hose almost. Yeah, and the heart is like plastic molded. It, it looks like a car part or or like a, a floor mat, like the same material as like car floor mats. Well, when I, at the bottom of the uh, like the heart, I I honestly thought looking at it, they used one of those like foam Nerf footballs, just yeah, the texture yeah, of it. Absolutely. Uh, and, it worked. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it looks really cool. It's, it, it, it's, it's a similar sort of thing to the first one where you, you just sort of replace organic things with sort of weirdly similar looking machine things. Yeah, they uh, don't but, have to function. But like what happens here uh, right after we see the heart is that Tamu awakes from a nightmare. And I wonder if it's supposed to be him remembering this sequence. Because obviously this guy or the metal fetishist is following him for a while. They're connected. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, he doesn't seem to realize who he's following right away. No, well, I'm not sure. (laughs) I get the feeling that he doesn't. Could be. I'll explain why later when we get there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of connection between them that that is revealed later on. Uh, and what we what we learn right away is that Tamu was a foster child. Uh, the the wife sort of is talking about him and his foster parents. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, I wasn't paying that close attention to this because I didn't realize how important it would be. That there would actually be some important dialogue in this one, since there kind of wasn't dialogue in the first. Well, yeah, and they were speaking so quietly that if I wasn't looking at the subtitles, I wouldn't even know speaking was happening. Right. But yeah, I didn't think I'd have to pay that close attention to the dialogue. Yeah, I mean, there was very little import to any of the dialogue in the first one. It was kind of just for flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, there, there's a lot of backstory uh, kind of yeah. hidden in the crevices. Yeah, people explain stuff in this one. Uh, although there's still a lot of things left completely unclear. Necessarily. Yep. <laughs> uh, one thing that I really like about this one is the imagery. Like it's it's very industrial. It has a lot of industrial music video style, like Nine Inch Nails around the time or Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got these really great images of sort of isolation in cityscapes. Like anytime we see someone outside, uh, it looks much newer than the first one did the first one looked extremely run down it looked like it was all shot in i don't know a post-war area that had never been cleaned up uh but the this one it looks like all brand new buildings but it's still just people sort of isolated within just a, a huge amount of glass metal and concrete and blue light but no other people there there it's it's like oh strangely unpopulated uh, outside until they get into situations where they're running from people. Yeah, like one thing we see a lot of though is our, our like the shot of our hero just standing perfectly still on the sidewalk while fast motion everybody is running by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Which see is that sort of the opposite. Of yeah, and it's kind of the opposite of what we saw in the first one, where you know our protagonist would just sort of move through the city and uh, the the city would move around him rather than 
the the well this also is the city moving around him but in a different sense it's the people moving around him and him isolated and not moving whereas the other one he's moving around but it's the city actually moving because it's stop motion with him solid yeah. in the center and I, and I think another thing i don't know if i'm jumping ahead or not because I don't know, but like a thing with this guy is every time somebody bumps into him or anything like that, he's always the one who says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like he's not really interacting with the city. He sees like himself as just in the way, I think. Yeah. And it's it's sort of weird because there there's an element of him clearly being kind of cowed by the city, but there's also an element of him being extremely toxic and filled with rage and just this rage that is just below the surface that he's just not quite accessing it yet but it's so ready to just boil over and destroy everyone around him at all times guess what this movie's about (laughs) (laughs) yeah there is a there's there's a lot of toxic masculinity in this and it's definitely about that like where the first one sort of touched on it a little bit this one is clearly uh delving into it and and grappling with the concept Mm -hmm. uh so the first big thing that happens is they go to a record store and someone kidnaps their son and also shoot shoots tamu with a bolt gun although he's completely unharmed and we don't know why for quite a while I wouldn't say he's unharmed. He's definitely struggling. He's definitely injured, but he's not as injured as he should be. Well, what's weird is he is actually completely unharmed. He seems to struggle, but we learn much later that he is literally unharmed. Like it didn't touch him. It didn't even touch him. (laughs) But but we don't know that yet. We figure this guy should be dead. Yeah, because like they it's it's basically like a cattle bolt gun, uh, but they've sort of designed it as it's very similar to how. Uh, the metal fetishist transformed into the metal fetishist at the beginning of the first one. It's just like a gun that fires a little bolt into someone's skin to make them one of these. Like they've sort of mass produced uh, the bullet man or the the Iron Man thing. Yeah. Like that's sort of the plan of the villain. They've, uh-huh. they're, they're mass producing themselves. Or... I guess the other question, which I guess we haven't really gotten to that yet, and we will, but I'm not sure if they're entirely mass-producing these bodybuilder guys, like they're grabbing people and recruiting them, so to speak, or if they're using them to create weaponry. I think it's a little of both. Yeah. The impression that I got is they shot this guy for the purpose of a demonstration or like to show and I'm like, I'm jumping ahead really far ahead, but they shot him to kind of like show these other guys like, Hey, this is what'll happen if you take the shot here. Yeah, I guess. Cause like one of the things they say, and again, this is sort of ahead of us, but they, they do say this one's a real mild one. So be careful. Uh, but he certainly is not. Yeah, yeah, that's what they say. It's like I, I just picked a mild one so that there wouldn't be any accidents. Yeah, uh, but they're wrong, and I feel <laughs> yes, like, they are. I feel like our metal fetishist knows this already, and he seems to be 
working against them from the inside because we'll we'll sort of get to it but his his approach is suspect there there is some weird things that happen with him and and the way he's doing things okay so he and his wife uh canna yeah uh, give chase obviously and they end up on a roof and so tamu sees his son's shoes sitting on the ledge so he thinks They've already thrown him off, and he, like, leans over to look and falls off the edge, of course. No, the guy uh, tosses him. He comes no, up no. behind him and just... Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay, because I know they come up behind when he's hanging from the ledge, and they're threatening to drop him and the kid, and, like, they step on his hands a bit. Yeah, yeah, but I think he falls over because the guy comes up behind him and just... Okay. ...hoops him over the edge. And they just kind of make a bunch of threats... But the wife saves him from falling, and when the thugs leave, they just leave the kid behind. This kid has no problem whatsoever with being kidnapped all the time. He says nothing, he does nothing, he's like, oh, guess I'm just kidnapped again. He's exclusively a prop. <laughs> he is a prop. He, he, he has no character. Nope. He has a name. Well, I, I think... I think that's sort of also purposeful because if you made this character made this kid a character and cute, <laughs> what happens uh, to him? Like, kinda... yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of the things we see here is just fireballs appear in the middle of the screen with Tamu reacting, and it, it's like a visualization of just the toxic anger within him just firing and and becoming inflamed and dangerous. Yeah, just so pissed off at how the guy, he's supposed to be the breadwinner, could do nothing. And the only reason his kid is alive is because they're like, ah, we're done with him. We had our fun. Yeah. And he was completely ineffective against these thugs. And his wife did a lot more than he did. Right. His wife had to save him. And like, they could have killed him. They just didn't think he was worth it. They just didn't even bother. So he's just filled with rage. And. So there's a weightlifting montage of him. <laughs> uh, this was cool because this is the first time you see the bodybuilders in their steel mill or whatever it is. And mm. I thought it was symbolic. I didn't know that these bodybuilders were real people who were going to show up. Yeah, they're because like he's doing his bodybuilding. And whenever he starts to struggle, he just accesses his rage at the kidnappers and he just gets a machine powered burst of strength. Like when he's on the exercise cycle. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, and that sort of feels like one of the more direct things. It's just like uh, in terms of discussing the toxic masculinity concept where it's just like people using their rage to uh, guide themselves, to to develop themselves, like building themselves out of rage. Uh, one of the things that I also really like about the movie is its general... 90s office aesthetic it's weird like it's not really as grungy as the first one it doesn't feel as burnt up it just kind of looks like it's it's very vapor wave you know and this 90s office look a lot of imagery of water reflections oh uh, yes like wavery water reflecting on walls even when there isn't any water in the scene Lots uh, of shots of like glass window wall skyscraper things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and very still, like the the city itself feels very uh, flat and still and dead. 
whereas you know the 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 machine life is is just constantly moving and growing and uh, sort of like a virus almost uh-huh. uh, so the kidnappers call to taunt him because they've taken the kid again without him even realizing it while he was working out this this kid's job in life is to get kidnapped yep uh and so tamu runs after them again they end up on a roof again because obviously Uh that's immediately where they go uh and they kind of stomp on him a while and they say that they already dropped the boy and this is when he finally transforms yeah so how much does he actually transform here i don't quite recall uh, just his arm turns into a cannon, and he immediately fires. Uh, right, but then we oh, this shot actually. <laughs> we see the. <laughs> so first, we we see like as he's firing, we get a shot of the thug who reveals somehow that he actually had the kid on his shoulder still. Like there, there's just a shot of like him holding him up. He's got the kid's hands above his head. Uh, with his hands fully raised and the kids just on his shoulders and then the cannon fires and the dust clears and we see the bad guy totally unharmed completely and he's holding in his two hands the two (laughs) small child hands but only the hands the rest of the kid isn't there and he's just covered in guts and he's got like this look on his face this wild crazy kind of like a grin he kind of, but like a a real angry grin, a real like a like, grimace. <laughs> uh, and also, the wife is there right behind him, so yeah, like, she, she was sees, able to see it. <laughs> she sees the kid get blown up, uh, just like obliterated, nothing oh. left but his hands. Oh my god! And they look so. You're right. If we knew this kid and cared about this kid. <laughs> it's gruesome like wow yeah like like this is a completely obliterated like i I can't i can't describe how brutal this shot actually is (laughs) it's amazing like it's very very shocking and there's nothing else anywhere near as shocking in this one but like this one shot is (laughs) so wild so and we come back to it a few times when uh when our guy needs to inspire himself to kill again yeah. Which he well, just remembers the thug with the hands and is like, oh my god, stop showing me this. Or don't. <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of funny, honestly. It's, it's kind of funny, but so it's crazy. horrible. Uh, He's covered in guts. But like, not like blood, it's just like, it looks like pieces of meat, like somebody's freaking stew exploded all over him. Yeah, and just like the tiny little hands with just like the little bit of gore coming off the the nubs, like <laughs> so tiny, and <laughs> it's it's really something. Like it, it's oh I, it was not an image I expected to see, and it it will stick with me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this is like the one shot that I'll remember from this movie long after I've forgotten <laughs> everything else. Uh, so then we then we see Tamu sort of being consumed by wires, very similar to how uh, we saw the big ultimate transformation scenes in the first one, where just like a lot of stop motion wires coming up. Uh, yeah, and this is this is what I was here for. I was like, okay, more of this. Now we just need to establish it, and then now we're getting into the crazy nonsense shit, and it's actually going to be a little bit before we get into the crazy nonsense shit. We have more sense still. A little bit. 
although so we we go to the the bodybuilders in their industrial factory and here like the music is pretty much a direct rip off of ministry like it is burning inside by ministry almost exactly um i, I don't know ministry that well so it's fine <laughs> great song uh from the mind is a terrible thing to taste so tamu's wife wakes up on the floor with a bleeding forehead uh and the bodybuilders have kidnapped Tamu this time. Like they take him instead of the kid this next time. Uh, oh, and they're yeah. strapping him into a big machine. They are these, these bonds, these restraints that they're strapping into. They, they take extra care to show you just how heavy they are, how solidly he's bolted in. Um, mm-hmm. This is, yeah, this this is where I started to feel like okay, yeah, we're we're getting into the stuff that I liked so much about the first one. Yeah, we're we're like creating a power demonstration, uh, yeah. setting it up, and and it's really kind of just about sort of the seething, unseen rage of the salary man, in, in some ways as well. You know, like them referring to him as a mild one, uh, just in that like they've seen him, and they've been following him, and they've been taunting and torturing him but they still just see him as this nothing as a nobody where he is genuinely a very dangerous individual and has always been yeah i kind of get the feeling that as soon as the 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 metal guy saw him he was just kind of like oh shit yeah but i might have just i might just be kind of making that up well it could be that it was always his plan for them to get him and get the two of them together to maybe he does ask like he does ask one of the thugs so like what kind of guy what kind of guy did you get because it sounded like he just was ordered him to get whoever true but yeah i don't know it's weird because they've been going after this guy a bit and there's such a history between the two of them as we'll learn that it seems weird although maybe he did not know who he was he clearly does shortly after this because uh, they he sort of establishes a psychic link at this point. Yeah, uh, and here we sort. have our our professor guy, our mad scientist, whatever, overseeing the demonstration. Yeah, while all the uh, bodybuilders watch on like closed circuit television. Yeah, and he gets so our salary man still restrained gets all these. Guns coming out of his chest. His chest is guns now, and so is his arm. Well, like, first they manipulate his mind. Oh, so that's right. They, I forgot they need about to, that part. Yeah. Because so, he's got a VR headset. Right. And they the, the metal fetishist is pulling a calm image from his mind for the doctor to manipulate into some sort of metal thing. Uh, and he he has a vision of trying to chase after his son, but his legs are just these giant piles of junk metal. <laughs> really cool. Oh yeah, uh, and then here we see that that one shot again. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And, and then that that's when the gun comes out of his chest, like a hole bursts in the chest, and a gun tube comes out and starts firing. Uh, and and the the fetishist puts a plug in his own nose which returns it back to the initial calm image and the gun retreats back into his chest cavity which is 
like I'm not sure what exactly they're doing there, but it, it seems to be something with the brain, like some sort yeah, of associations I, that they're creating. Well, may I thought maybe, but they're also saying like right after this, just to inject him with the rust thing. So I think right. they just wanted to show to have this guy to show the bodybuilders what was possible if they got shot with this thing. And then throw the guy away because he's a liability now. See, I thought the bodybuilders were all already shot with the thing and were all already sort of developing their machine powers. Um, And that he just is mutant and and he somehow uh, reacts much huger to it. But if that's the case, then what's the whole point of any of what he's doing? Why did they catch this guy at all? I think just to bring him in. Uh, And also, it does seem like they're pulling weapons out of him because initially they take the gun that is generated out of the chest cavity. Like they actually remove it and like have it as a separate item. And then another array of them come out of his chest. Oh yeah. Here's where, yeah. Here's where his whole chest turns into guns. Yeah. And he starts shooting all the cameras. Well, he like overloads the system. It seems like, uh, and first the doctor is saying the will to kill is all that matters. Uh, and they're all chanting, well, to kill, well, to kill, uh, which lends more toward the death cult part. Yeah. But I yeah, think definitely. they're all already uh, metalized, at least to some extent at this point. That's my impression. Anyways, I could be wrong. I can't really tell, honestly. <laughs> uh, but like the fetishist then kills the mad scientist right away here before uh, Tamu mutates the extra guns. He shoots him in the head, I think, with the gun taken out of Tamu. Um, I, I think he turned his own hand into a gun because he went to oh, shake the scientist's hand. He's like, scientists like, we're going to make so much money off of this. And the dude's like, yeah, I don't care about money. I just want to kill shit anyway. Let me shake your hand. OK. Yeah, he, his line is destruction is all I need. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then and he shakes the doctor's hand and that's the end of the doctor. Yeah. Uh, and then Tamu mutates all the extra guns in his chest and. Uh, and then he returns to normal and escapes like immediately, which is unusual. Unlike the first one where he just kind of can drop all of the mutations. Yeah, he, he it feels like there's a lot more control in this one or is in this one. It's a lot more something he's doing, whereas in the first one, it was a lot of something that's being done to him. Right, because in this one, it's something that goes back to his childhood. It's something that's inherent within him because it's, you know, examining his toxicity. Yeah. And then so one of the reasons that I think all of the bodybuilders are already uh, machineized at some to some extent is that now one of these dudes, uh, one of the generic flat top dudes, because they all kind of look the same, uh, mutates of. a gun arm to go after him. Like they just grab oh, one. Yeah. Like, like, hey, go get him. Yeah, I think that's like the main thug. Yeah, like we we see him for a bit. Uh, And meanwhile, the fetishist just drops into a bath of oily water and that's where he hangs out. Yeah, that's his bed, I guess. It seems to be Uh, because like he's in that a few times. We see him dropping into or rising out of just a pool of oil a few different times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this first this area uh, 
where Tamu is leaving the factory and he's trying to get out of this area and it's just a huge bombed out abandoned machinery area might be the same area as the first movie. It it looks very similar. Could be. I wasn't looking that closely, but it could be. It could be because like it definitely feels much different from all of the other locations in this movie, which feel much more modern. Uh-huh. Uh, so that guy, the flat top guy follows him. And says, like, I'm going to destroy you like like your brat. Uh, so obviously, Tamu rages out again. And that's when, like, uh, he shoots him with just a whole panel of guns out of his chest and shoots him a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, I can't remember how he actually gets out. Like, he just leaves. <laughs> he, he basically just leaves and, and he ends up back home. So, like, the, the flat-top guy with all the bullets in his chest is like, he was truly a god, the man who turned us all into gods. And I assume he's talking about the fetishist there. Yeah, yeah. Because he would have been the one who actually changed them rather than the scientist guy. I think the scientist – this isn't really important, but I think the scientist used the fetishist cells to build the gun to turn everyone else into the thing, but – to like mass produce it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think so too. Uh, and we get a flat a flashback of the flat top guy training at boxing and not being really great at it. And then he's recruited by the fetishist uh, who already could turn his arm into a gun by then. And he trains him. And then we see a flashback of all of the bodybuilders being shot with the bolt gun. And I think it's a flashback here rather than a thing that's happening now. Okay, I thought when I saw that it's a thing that's happening. Because uh, so I think it's part of this guy's flashback because oh, it, could be. we have his training and how he got into it. And then we see all of them being uh, bolted, which sort of suggests that like they're doing this as an assembly line. And then all of these guys are sort of their foot soldiers. But none of them have the same potential for power because of just not being as full of rage as Tamu. Right. That's my feeling. So this is when Kana inspects the shirt with the bullet hole and finds out that he wasn't shot at all, uh, that it was stopped by a mini computer that he had in his pocket. Good thing I have my lucky Bible and my lucky crucifix. (laughs) But it's like it's like a Blackberry, like a primitive 92 Blackberry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't even remember what they were called, but yeah, that's what it basically is. Yeah, like a Tandy or something. I'm not sure. Or a Newton, uh, uh, what they call those little tiny computers. Uh, and and Tamu shows up back at home at that point. Oh, yeah. And she says, I, I can't remember how we get there, but she says something like, you were smiling when you killed so-and-so, and you'll be smiling when you kill me too. Yeah. And, and she I asks, started thinking about the drill dick at this point. <laughs> right, because the, the the destruction of the child is kind of the drill dick destruction of this movie. The, the <laughs> one is like really big, like gruesome, gory death. Uh, but Kana is just like, what are you? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, she even sees the thing and she's like, oh, so it wasn't the gun that turned him into that. Uh uh-oh. Yeah, it's like, how? what is going on with you? Because it 
they didn't do this to you. This is just who you are. What is up? Uh, and she leaves. But of course, the car full of thugs are there and they take her. It's like they're they're just always waiting to. I think they live across them. the road from this guy. It could I just be. decided they have a house like right across the street from them. They must be really close to the wreckage area because <laughs> there there's a lot of uh, intersection between them. Uh, and Tamu chases them on a bicycle and his anger powers the bicycle. Yeah, this is cool because this is an actual car chase, kind of. Yeah, but like a bike and car chase, but he's supercharging the bike and then and mutating. And then he kind of doesn't even need the bike anymore. And he starts running along the sides of buildings. I love that shot of the guy with the coffee. He just spits it out of the window. <laughs> Like <laughs> this guy running past this machine man. <laughs> Super cool. Yep. Uh, he lands on the roof of the car, but uh, one of the guys just shoots an arm cannon through the roof and knocks him off. So they get away. Uh, but they head back to the factory and he knows where that is. So, you know, they're they're just waiting for him to show up anyways. Yeah. And then uh, I think this is where the girl is talking to the 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 villain and he's like uh, just my luck it had to be tamu taniguchi didn't it yeah and they're wondering why is he so different like they don't like none of them seem to have it figured out obviously the fetishist knows uh-huh. uh and he says he's different because he transformed through sheer willpower rather than having something to transform him like they all did I, I just love that the idea that with enough willpower anyone could turn into a machine thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyone can do it <laughs> i love that N nobody says that but that's kind of the implication if you could do it with willpower shouldn't anyone be able to yeah turns out no well maybe not in this case well maybe it, it, it depends on your potential for anger i suppose yeah it's really complicated we Still don't learn how exactly they get their powers. No. So instead we get their past. Uh, yeah. This is when we get the, the flashback to their childhood and, and the, just this history of violent rage. Or Actually, no, we don't get the origin yet. This We just get a bunch of sequences of Tamu's past uh, where we see him being a rageaholic, uh, but we don't get quite the childhood history that led him to that. I think we, I think this is where we get like him at school and fighting with other kids. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Cause the, the him uh, being bullied, I think. Right. And then like him overreacting and destroying all the other kids. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then of course he arrives at the factory looking for his wife. Uh, and the first guard just has this gigantic metal torso, like he's a bell. <laughs> he, yeah, he looks like he's like a bell or a garbage can with arms. He kind of reminds me of Oscar the Grouch. It's pretty ridiculous. And they're like, OK, you need to inject yourself with this thing right now or your wife dies. Uh, and he's like, no. And he blows him away. <laughs> yeah. And the fetishist shoots at the wife. And Tamu starts just super mutating in reaction to it. But the dust clears and the wife wasn't actually even shot. It, it was just like 
again, a thing to enrage him without actually doing anything to her. He's the one who has caused all of the problems. Like, the bad guys didn't kill the kid. He did. I would almost say the bad guys haven't done anything, but yeah, they did. They still did. I mean, they did kidnap them twice. Like, they, they kidnapped, they kidnapped the, kid the kid twice. Kid they kidnapped twice the wife, the wife twice. once. Yeah. Uh, they kidnapped the guy once. Yeah. And they, they did, like, shoot him with a bolt. It, it just, they weren't successful. It's It still happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, oh. I guess both of them have rust powers already like this this is when tamu does his like mega mutation and he just becomes this giant mass of metal and concrete like he looks like a pile of wreckage yeah i i think this looks way better than a than than the first movie it's a really cool one like he's got girders coming out of him he's got like concrete chunks and Uh, and the makeup on his face was so good mm mm-hmm uh, it, it's much more elaborate this time. It definitely had more of a budget. Uh-huh. <laughs> Clearly is not quite as independent of a film. Uh, so the fetishist just vomits a whole bunch of rust and then gets crushed in a giant metal crusher that I think uh, Tamu sort of creates or, or generates. Or, or yeah, he, get, he pushes he pushes him in. The, well, we had to see the fetishist final form first mm-hmm. which uh we don't really get a very good look at it um all the thugs are all covered in rust now at this point yeah uh and um, th- sure go ahead and, and yeah he he crushes them like immediately the fight's over before it starts basically yeah and there's almost nothing left like there's just part of his head left <laughs> yeah like the top of his head turns out but, that's enough that's enough, and he fires a cable out of it, which sticks into Tamu, uh, and then they merge, much like the first one. Oh, and this has got a, uh, this probably is where we see the origin story yes. because she's yeah. watching it on the TV that's hooked up to his eyes. I think. Yeah, I get the feeling that the fetishist is sort of broadcasting to the CCTV somehow. Somehow, yeah. Uh, and so we get uh, first, there's a really interesting mix of biological images and technological images sort of overlaid. So like we see microchips, we see uh, a bunch of wires that eventually crossfade into grass. Uh, and that's how we end the flashback that we go into this field of grass where the uh, Tamu's family, uh, his father is bringing a kettle to life somehow with some sort of metal powers yeah so what we learn is that he's the father is the origin of these metal powers and somehow passed it on to the two children we still don't know how we still don't know where any of these powers come from originally and it doesn't really matter well i think generally it's it's mainly a metaphorical thing uh so obviously he's training his kids to become bioweapons but the how of it, you know, it's not so much a how thing as uh, what does it mean? And, it, you know, it feels like a cycle of abuse sort of thing that, you know, this is an abusive uh, childhood. He's clearly a deranged and abusive parent uh, who is training his kids to be violent and training them with violence. And, you know, that's not uncommon. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know. 
usually there there isn't a metallic uh, mutation involved. But uh, it, it does seem to be that sort of thing that like his toxicity and his white hot rage comes from his father. Like it's a cycle of abuse. It's it's his rage coming from his father's rage. Uh, and and Kana is weird about it. She's like, no, you can't show him this. You you. She she's like he she doesn't want him to realize what made him this way. Like yeah. how he was so full of rage. Like shouldn't he recognize yeah. the the source of that's, his rage? I mean that's one way to overcome it. Yeah, that's generally. I mean he. I don't know though. Maybe maybe he shouldn't. Maybe because uh, bottling it all down deep for his entire life it's been working so good for him <laughs> yeah it's you just gotta make sure nobody kidnaps your child it's been going super well like that time he killed all those children that <laughs> at school yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i'm not quite sure what her problem is with uh him realizing himself but i guess it, ultimately it does result in him just embracing his rage and and becoming fully a weapon uh, and and we get, we get the second flashback to some weird gun sex play. Oh is... yeah, right. And then that's what that was. And the girl, I don't, I didn't feel consensual. No, and it, it does end with so his mother ends up being shot by his father while they're doing sex play with a gun, and. He witnessed it. The two of them witnessed it because uh, it's it's revealed here that the fetishist is his little brother. I guess we haven't mentioned that yet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're brothers. So yeah, we we realize that the the two of them are brothers, and they both witnessed this uh, that the mother was being shot. But then immediately, Tamu just blows both of them away. Like the mother wasn't killed; she was shot and wounded. But he's the one who killed both of them. And he yeah, was it, laughing like mad while he did it. Yep. And this is another one of those shots because you see the father like holding up this blanket over them and it's just full of holes. And, and oh, it's it's like the end of RoboCop. <laughs> like it's the Ed one or Ed 109 or is it Ed 909? I don't remember. Uh, the, the big robot just like disintegrating that guy with gunshots it's it's very much like that it's so over the top there's a lot of bullets flying uh and then there's a big explosion in the present and tamu tells kana to inject him uh and it's funny she injects it into a tank tread that he now has instead of a leg Yeah, he's a tank now. We we got to the tank part. And then, like, the bodybuilders all just sort of appear like gorillas from the mist. <laughs> yeah. And then he, he fires out his cables into all of their foreheads. And just everyone screams. And then we see, like, a metal fetus being developed, I guess. It's like a fetus made of metal inside yeah. the... the like it's it's sort of like whatever they're doing they've they're all merging into one new being but we just sort of see the internal workings rather than uh the merge taking place cuz i don't even know how you would possibly visualize such a thing well 
yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you would either. Not with, not because we do see the not, result. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, we see like it, it's very similar to the end of the first movie, the, yeah. the tank thing. But you see the man all tank. these the man tank, but you see all these faces in it, and then taboo at the very top, and she's freaking riding alongside yeah, this tank. Hannah's just riding the man tank. <laughs> yeah. As it's going down the city. Yeah, it's just like heading towards the big buildings that we saw through all of the other early shots where, you know, the the modern stuff. Uh, and there's just a gigantic explosion. And then we see him, her, uh, him as a human, her, and, and I think the kid's there too. It's the sun again, somehow. Yeah. And they're just wandering the post-apocalypse. Because yep, it's just destroyed. Everything's Everything. destroyed, and they're all like, but they seem pretty happy. They're like, oh, it's so peaceful here. Yeah, uh, and I'm not totally sure what to take away from that ending, ultimately. Yeah, because th- that's the end. That's We, we that's get it. the credits right after that. There's We have like 30 seconds of tank, and then another 30 seconds of wandering in the post-apocalypse, and that's the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as rhythmic as the first one. Like it, it doesn't doesn't grab you by the neck and shake you the whole time the way the first one does. Yeah, the first one felt like a cross between a nightmare, like like somebody filmed somebody else's nightmare. This one feels like a movie. This one is definitely a little more conventionally made. It's still gruesome. There's still a lot of the same body horror and a lot of the same industrial aesthetics, a lot of them. Uh, but not quite as uh, nonstop. <laughs> it, it doesn't. This uh, movie has pacing. This movie has plot. It <laughs> there, has there's a plot. dialogue. It has uh, characters. Some of them even arc. have names. We we get backstory. Uh, none of those things were in the first one. So the this one is a much more expanded version. But uh, and and I feel like this one also has more to say about sort of like what where all of this comes from and what just the rage that powers these men this seems to be a very key element that they're discussing uh-huh. uh, but i i really don't know what to take away from the ending with tamu kana and the sun but nothing else like they've destroyed the world but the three of them remain somehow and i'm not quite sure how that fits into the metaphor of the rest of it because the rest of it is pretty solid in that sense, like can kind of fit those things together. Toxic masculinity, if left unchecked, will destroy the world. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Maybe. And I think that's Maybe. part of it. It's just I wonder why those three are still there at the end. That's the part that I can't quite nail down. But anyway, like I really liked it. I think it's I, I agree it's not as good as the first, but I think it's almost as good. It's still another really bonkers thing it 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 does have some images that will stick with me forever (laughs) um yeah i think if i had seen this one first i would have enjoyed the first one less i think whereas if i saw that one first so as a result i kind of enjoyed this one a little bit less because i was kind of expecting I think I wanted the same, but more. And what I got was the same, but different. 
Yeah, it's like it is the same, but more. But it's tonally different. Like yes. it's it's the same plot, but not the same tone. Yeah, yeah. The first one was a lot more chaotic, a lot, a lot faster. There was a lot very of... fast. Yeah, like what the fast. first one was what sixty four minutes. <laughs> sixty four minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no fat. Uh, and and not that this one is flabby at all. Like it, it's not that oh, this no, one. Oh no! Everything that's here, I think, needs to be here. Yeah, and this one is still quite short. They needed to kidnap short. the kid as many times as they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it could have happened with the first kidnapping, or you know, the first one didn't need to be a kidnapping. It could have just been the bolt shooting and then him chasing after them. <laughs> it, it it did feel like there was some unnecessary repetition in that sense. Yeah. And it kind of felt like. Like but it was almost hilarious. Were, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Because like the second when, time they took the kid and he's still yeah. not screaming. Well, it, it's it just like, kind of feels like Bowser kidnapping Princess Peach. Like he doesn't even know why he does it anymore. Yeah, and like the second time that they kidnapped the kid, I laughed out loud. I was like, "What? They kidnapped him again? It was just the previous scene that they kidnapped him." <laughs> it was funny, but <laughs> I was like, "What the hell?" Uh, but yeah, overall, like I would still totally say it's recommend. But oh, absolutely. Uh, first one, I like the first one is better, and I do recommend seeing the first one first. And it is, uh, that that's sort of the consensus. Like broadly, it's more widely appreciated than the second. But I, yeah, but the second couldn't have wouldn't have worked conceptually. I don't think if the first if I hadn't seen the first. So I don't know. If I had yeah. seen this on my own, I don't think – I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I, uh, I think they work best as kind of a set maybe. Like, like you got to watch yeah. both. Because one really informs the other. One is just kind of the skeleton, whereas this one is sort of the full body. It, it's got a lot more uh, filled out, even if that does kind of take away some of the impact. It's It's not quite as hard of an impact, but there's – a lot to examine like it, it does give you more to think about uh in in terms of how and the, the reasons for what we're seeing and the craziness yeah. that's happening to us uh so that is replaced with tokyo fist the next one in the set uh which is sort of a sports movie about a boxer but is still also a body horror oh, from really? what i understand okay. uh I, from what i understand almost all of uh Tsukamoto's work involves body horror it's just one of his things so that's cool well, the box set is called solid metal nightmares it is and it has uh, a picture of a guy with a part machine head face yeah i think it's tetsuo from the first one or tamu i guess is his name the man but yeah i think it's him right um or is that shinya Tsukamoto just th- that's looking like the salary shinya- man yeah. On the box set? No, he, oh, he's older. Oh, I'm thinking of the cover of the, actual, the, cover of the, the Tetsuo disc, which is very yeah, similar. That's, but similar. Yeah, right. that, that's the guy. Um, but the box set himself, I think it's him, but yeah. much older than he appears in this movie. Right, but with like a, a teched up face, which is cool. Yeah, with a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Um, No, I'm, <laughs> I actually feel better about the movie after the discussion than I did bef- before the discussion. Cause this one, I came out of it like disappointed because it didn't hit as hard as the first one. That is fair. But, I, and I think that's pretty common. I, I think that's sort of the common reaction to it too. Like, 
but I do think it's an interesting one to dig into. For oh, sure. sure. There, there's, there is actually quite a bit in here. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's like, I watched it a couple times last week and I did appreciate it more the second time, just taking in all of the imagery. Cause like the first time I was going through taking notes and then the second time it's like, I'm just going to watch it and just experience all the imagery of this movie. Uh, and that helped quite a bit too. Oh yeah, I bet. Um, I gave up on taking notes on the first one. It's like, what do oh, you yeah. even write down? Uh, do I freeze frame every part of the strobe light? Crazy no. metal shit happens. <laughs> Wires, tool video. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, good for Tetsuo 2. So we'll I, I think to, so. Yeah, we'll move on to part two. All right, and we're back. Uh so before we get into the next movie, I just want to talk about a little bit about something that I just I hate it when it happens. I forgot that this was a thing that would happen because we've been in the pandemic. We haven't gone to restaurants in so long. But t- t- Jay, tell me how if this really gets your goat as much as it gets mine. Mm. So like I'll be going into this diner, right? Um, slow day, you know, there's nobody there. Uh except for one dude and i'll order my usual which of course is just a rotting dead fish on a plate yeah you know yeah um but they get it from the kitchen which appears to have aurora borealis going on back there and then you know what freaking always happens donald pleasance comes out of the kitchen with a meat cleaver and he fucking hangs me upside down and chops me in half vertically yeah i mean he'll do that i mean that's a pleasant thing you know yeah yeah has that ever happened to you it sucks I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things that's going to happen if you're hanging out in the 80s. I guess. I Especially guess. in small American diners and exploitation films. <laughs> uh, this this movie is alone in the dark, and I love this shit. So this rules, but first we've actually got a couple other films to uh, get a little bit into. So that's just oh, like a brief okay. preview. Because we've got... <laughs> we, we hung out on the weekend and we watched uh, Happy Death Day to You. Uh, as oh, yeah. well as I have stuff to say about this one. I, I believe both of them uh, and the other one, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. So we, we'll mm, briefly <laughs> touch on both of these uh, more so on Happy Death Day to you, because I don't know that it's one that we'll necessarily cover. There's not I don't a think ton to we say. will. Like my, my thinking on that one is I have too much to say for a little blurb, but not nearly enough for a feature. Yeah, so like possibly a secondary feature at some future time, but yeah, uh, I don't right see now, that. yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> so we both saw Happy Death Day in theater and enjoyed it. It was pretty good. It was a good, good. take on the uh, traditional slasher in that it's Groundhog Day. Gets to, it's Groundhog Day, which means yeah. your slasher gets to kill the same characters over and over again in different ways every time. It was really fun. Super fun. Uh, really enjoyable movie. Uh, one of those that's verging on maybe a little too clever. Uh, and just in that the sequel is too clever. The yeah. sequel is too busy with being clever and is not a horror movie at all. It's not a, no, sense. okay. <laughs> I, I don't actually want to talk too much about what happens because I feel no. like a lot of the enjoyment is it's in very the first funny. A lot of the enjoyment, for me at least, was in the first probably 20 minutes when I could not figure out what direction the movie was going to go in. Right. And I couldn't figure out what kind of movie I was watching. I knew it wasn't going to be a horror, but I didn't know what it was. Once I found out, once 
the movie got into its vibe, I was just like, oh, so we're doing this. Okay. Yeah, uh, so it's kind of Back to the Future Part 2 instead of Groundhog Day, as they directly reference in the movie, of course, because it's that kind of movie where it's just got to directly say what all of its references are, much like Ready Player One. You can't just let them sit. Uh, And it's it feels like a comic book movie rather than a horror movie. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Like, um, it, it has that sense of being, well, it's it's a multiverse movie. It's about a multiverse. And it has zero horror elements other than there happens to be a slasher running around in part of this movie. The slasher does not drive the plot in this one. Yeah, and I think what I, the, the thing that bugs me most about this one is that it sort of undermines the previous movie. Oh, that, it absolutely does. Like, spoiler alert, I won't say exactly what but they explain the time loop first movie doesn't do that right they explain the time loop and they also change several of the characters fundamentally maybe most of them really yeah but i would say even the main character is not the same character she was in the first film she's still good i like i think the performance is really good and she's kind of the sole solid thing in the second one this first one like it it's not that i didn't hate the movie but it's it's flat it feels very focus grouped yeah it feels like it feels like somebody was trying to make a a marvel movie on a horror movie budget it's very like what i was talking about when just a while back when we were talking about uh jason versus freddy it's a movie that feels like a blockbuster movie instead of a horror movie. Like it's trading on some horror concepts, but it's not treating them as horror in any way. Yeah, it, it did. Like the score particularly was so generic Marvel movie. Yeah. And like just, you know, one big pop song that they kind of over feature and, and feels oh. Right, two on the, the nose in the sequence yeah and it's yeah i don't know it's <laughs> the the uh the killer's identity isn't anywhere near as clever in this one no and it also isn't anywhere near as important like <laughs> the killer in the first one i never would have seen that coming yeah i'm i had to give it a second like who was the killer in this one having just watched this movie a few days ago and like i had to think about it like oh yeah that didn't oh, yes, matter. That. that wasn't a thing. No, that was nothing. Uh, yeah, and it's it's weird. Like it's very quippy. It's coming from sort of the Kevin Williamson school post Scream, but more so because it's, you know, that that's gone on for another twenty five years, and now they've done, you know, it's it's become the standard way. Like it's it's the, uh, well that happened. Uh, style of humor and it's really tedious I, I i get really sick of it so not a recommend on happy death day to you like it's okay if you like the first one it's enjoyable enough hold on gotta yell at my cat she's clawing the couch that belongs to the landlord hey cut it out <laughs> Claw- Kid. i have a perfectly good shitty office chair on this that i found on the side of the road for you to claw claw that that's for claw you that. I made a perfectly good cake for you to ruin. (laughs) 
so yeah, uh, not not really a recommend, but it's okay. Like it's not a terrible movie. It's just it's so generic. Like it really yeah. feels it, it feels test marketed to death. There, there's just no life to it. It was one of those things where I was like, as I was watching it and. <laughs> I, I kept looking over to see your reaction and you were not reacting the same way I was. I was laughing my ass off at parts. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, after the movie was over, I was like, why did I think that was so funny? <laughs> is it, is it, and that's like the same way I feel about some of the. So some of that of the, like most of the Marvel stuff. movies. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, man, I thought it was hilarious when the Hulk was like big monster. <laughs> and it's like, the yeah, thing is, I, I do laugh at funny. some of those. The, yeah. This one, it's it's totally a thing where it, it's the same type of humor, and it's what I feel at the end of it. It's like, well, that happened. It, it's that sort of humor, and it's like, well, okay, I guess that's that movie. Whatever. There's just it. It has no connection. There's nothing it, to hold on to. There's there's nothing interesting or unusual about it to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I thought I was going to like the direction that it went as I saw it going there. And then it just did something a little bit different that maybe like, oh, this would have been a, such a better movie if if it wasn't that. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways it could have gone. And like, th- There's a few fake outs, too. Like we have uh-huh. a different protagonist at the beginning. And it's like, OK, do we see the same day through this guy's eyes? Because that could be cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of the obvious way to go, but I think I still ultimately would have preferred that to what ultimately happens. Oh, yeah. Although I do certainly prefer the main character we have. Like, I don't Oh, definitely. Think... I'm glad we went back to the girl. Yeah, she's she's so much better, just both as a character and a, as an actress. Like, she's great. But uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. Not I'm glad super. we went back to the girl. I don't like how we went back to the girl. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like what, what I don't like. I don't want to spoil too much, but I don't. Okay, maybe listener, just fast forward about thirty to sixty seconds because I can't talk about this without talking about it. Okay. So they, it looks like they undo the whole time loop of the first one, and she has to go back through that day again. But she's in a parallel universe, and she's trying to get home to her universe but the slasher's still there but it's a different slasher but in this universe her mom's alive but her boyfriend's dating this shitty girl well dating her and, best friend from the first one who she hates right. which is part of the which problem is the whole with, thing yeah yeah and part of the problem with this movie is that all of the relationships of the first movie don't matter except that one between her and the boyfriend of which develops at the very end of the first one and isn't really that solid. It's really not. Cause this whole thing takes place the next day. It so you never saw wonder woman 84. Did you No, I never the, did the sequel. It has this movie and that movie have a similar problem where they're based on just that dick too good. You know, like it, it's, She's found this guy, and now that's the only thing that matters in the world. And Well, the thing is, it isn't. She's really conflicted about whether she, she stays in the world with her mother. She is conflicted, but it's weird that it still ultimately becomes so boyfriend-centric in it. I, I do feel like it's unearned. 
Like I don't feel any chemistry between them is a big problem. There's just nothing there. I I, yeah. I can't even remember what the dude looks like having seen no, the movie three he's... days ago. Did he do anything in the movie? I don't think he did in this one. He died a couple times. And he was annoying. Like he was annoying to her. The first yeah. time he's seen at the start of every day, he's an irritant. So I just don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I, sort of a problem. I do buy that she would come to care about him, but not like oh, yeah. be in love with him. Yeah, I, and and she has like she has a, a teary speech where she's like, "I relived the same day over and over again, and I fell in love with you." And it's like, really? I don't see that though in this movie. No, and I didn't even really see it in the first one. The first no. one's like, you know what? Well, because it happens. This guy at the very turned end. out to be a decent guy. I'll give him a chance, and, yeah. and that was it. And he's like, you know what? I buy that version of the relationship. Yeah, and how is it just this? It because this is just the next day. In fact, it's yeah. the same day ultimately. Um, ah, it's, it's the next day, and then it turns into the same day. Uh. <laughs> so, so Henry, portrait of a killer. Henry, was portrait really of good. a serial killer. God damn, what a movie! Holy shit! <laughs> oh, that movie's great. Yeah, so like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, 86, 87, Michael Rooker's first film, the great Michael Rooker, oh, who he, is incredible as Henry Lee Lucas in this. Way too handsome and attractive handsome. to be Henry Lee Lucas, but he doesn't they, have they the nailed his, serial killer vibe looking but like they him. nailed his buddy. Yes, they nailed Otis. Otis. So Henry Lee Lucas, for those who don't know, was a drifter serial killer. In what the 60s or 70s? I should really know this. I listened to the podcast like immediately after watching the movie. I believe it's 60s and 70s because he only died in jail in like 2001. Right, right. So he went, he was a serial killer. He went around. But the thing is, what he did in real life, anyways, uh, was confess to all these murders that he probably didn't do. He definitely didn't do. there's well, no he way did he did not kill a thousand people because yeah. he confessed like, to thousands. Yeah, he did some. He definitely he some. was a murderer. But when he realized that he could get out of jail for a day and go on a field trip if he told someone that if if he told the police that he killed someone, uh, you know, he'll, he'd do it. And, you know, he'd get ice cream. He'd get special privileges for telling them that he could that, that he killed people and he was never getting out. No. So he just claimed him. Just claimed yep. tons and tons of kills. And as a result, all the people who actually killed those people, nothing happened to them. They went free. Scot free. Yep. Not even a slap on the wrist. Nobody even is looking for them. They're fine. <laughs> That's a problem. That's a big problem. But this movie doesn't really touch on the whole story of Henry Lee Lucas. This is just, and it's also very fictionalized because <laughs> the story of Henry Lee Lucas. Well, the story of Henry Lucas is very fictionalized. Like, nobody besides him really knows what happened. Yeah, I mean, he's dead, so we're not going to find out. Yeah. And he wasn't going to tell us anyway. And he's interesting in that he's one of these serial killers who had a partner. Like, that's that's pretty uncommon. So him and this Otis or Otis tool. Otis in real life, Otis in the movie. Um, and it's weird because Otis is really fictionalized in the movie in terms of his background and how the character relates to Henry. 
but man, he's dead on. Like they get him so right. <laughs> he looks he so. Looks... <laughs> he looks exactly like the guy. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, and like Michael Rooker is spectacular embodying Henry Lee Lucas. Like, yes. He is it doesn't scary, matter that he doesn't look like him. Mm. No. Oh, it's, it's kind of like it doesn't matter that Anthony Hopkins didn't look like Richard Nixon because he was Richard Nixon. Yeah, it's it's the performance that really just pushes it through the next level. Uh, yep. And so like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is a fictionalized account and it sort of just follows. It seems like a f- maybe a month or so in in uh, Chicago with Henry Lee Lucas having drifted into Chicago and hooked up with Otis and the two of them start killing people and like Henry introduces Otis to killing people and Otis gets into it but doesn't have the discipline that Henry as the experienced drifter killer does. So eventually Henry has to kill Otis. Yeah. So uh, because Otis is going to get them caught. Yeah. Uh, Which, and, oh my and god, he just, is. He's so dumb. Oh, yeah, he's very dumb. And also he's just being constantly fucking obnoxious and henry is getting sick of it more and more with each subsequent thing of uh, course but, in real life henry did not kill otis and they worked together for a while and lived for the, yeah they were like buddies yeah. <laughs> they were really best friends they 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 traveled together killing uh and both of them went to jail and both of them died in jail yeah uh so, recently like in the 2000s both of them i yeah. think which is crazy. Or I think maybe Otis died in the 90s because he was not quite as healthy. But yeah, this is just like a day or maybe a month out of the life of a serial killer. It's not about the people trying to catch him. At this point, nobody's trying to catch him. Yeah, he's just um, totally unknown. He's it's not under about the radar. how he gets caught because he doesn't get caught. Like the last shot, I think, is just him driving away. Uh, it's him having driven away and what he left behind. Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, it's it's such an interesting movie because it's just a slice of life about a serial killer, which is yeah, sort of like something that see, doesn't exist other than this. Yeah, like you see him, like, getting groceries or, well, maybe not groceries, but you see him just living a normal life outside of the killing. Yeah, and, like, there are a handful of killings that you see in the movie, but mostly you see aftermath of killings. With and this sound is effects. really, yeah, this is really neat. Like, the camera just pans over the corpse and then you hear the sound effects of the killing but you don't see any of it you just see the body and oh man it's very this is actually a very slow and quiet movie considering the subject matter and it's really good it's very very good and like it, it it's cool that these early shots with all of the bodies they leave a lot to the imagination and they're very effective and also just very budget conscious because it's extremely low budget film like it was shot on 16 millimeter uh and it's it's amazing how good it looks and just how good it is considering just what a tiny budget it had Mm -hmm. because it's it's always very effective uh the the makeup effects are very good for the few kills that you see uh, there's there's another kill that, you know, you, you only see it through them shooting it on VHS while they're doing it. So you oh, see yeah, that looks really... that was really intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that disconnect, like the graininess of the VHS. Yeah. Uh, I think that was necessary there. I agree. Uh, and, and much like 
the the sound effects kills where you just see the the body and you hear how it happened uh i think that actually works better than if they had shown it i totally agree because it 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 gives it so much more emphasis because you have to sort of imagine what happened you 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 sort of play it out in your mind and that's much more effective than what they could possibly have done on the budget they had uh so yeah i I guess probably not much more to say about henry it's one we totally might cover in the future because it's a masterpiece like it's yeah it's one of the best uh in terms of like uh 80s serial killer based horror and in terms of the ones that actually examine the psychology of the serial killer maybe the best <laughs> now a movie that uh, examines the psychology of the killer maybe doesn't do such a great job but it's not really trying to <laughs> kinda like it's certainly about psychology uh so our second movie is alone in the dark 1982 uh i can't remember who directed it offhand um uh, i can actually pull it up here maybe i got it here uh, Written and directed by Jack Shoulder. Jack Shoulder, uh, who I believe also did the great The Borrower, oh. which is so awesome. I think that's a Jack Shoulder film about an alien who uh, it gets to Earth and its head explodes, and then it just has to keep replacing its head. Oh, that's John McNaughton. That's directed by the same guy as Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. My mistake. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it was one that was by one of our directors this week. But anyway, uh, Jack Shoulder, uh, 1982 film. Uh, no relation to the Uva Ball film. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And this is a movie about uh, maximum, in quotes, security mental institution. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if maximum is the word I would use. I it's, would say it's a, security. It's a weird mix. It's a weird mix of minimum and maximum security. Right. Because like, yeah, the main uh, facility is minimum security. But these four guys are supposed to be in this maximum security portion of it. It's just it's got some uh, it, the, the fail safes. Uh, there, there are some issues. Yeah. Um, I, like, I understand why Donald Pleasanton's character would set it up the way he did. Yes. It's just he made a bad call. Yeah, and I feel like this movie is kind of maybe a little critical of sort of liberal policies in uh, mental health, but it also seems to be criticizing the way uh, mental patients are treated and and sort of the way, I I think especially in the U.S. at this time, a lot of those places are being shut down uh, and they're just kind of being let out into the world. And this was sort of what fueled a large portion of the serial killer issues in the eighties in America, they're just let out. Right. <laughs> and that's sort of what happens in this movie. There's a power outage and they all get out because it's just electricity. They, they just have electric locks. <laughs> I love the way they, they talk about it. Like electricity powers this asylum. Yeah. Yes. It's 1980. Electricity powers a lot of asylums. <laughs> So it's Donald Pleasance as Dr. Leo Bain, uh, who's who's the guy who runs this uh, maximum security or this this place, this place, <laughs> this, this, this institution. It's called the Haven. The Haven, and 
his whole thing, he's very new agey. He likes loose security. He wants his patients to feel comfortable and he sort of indulges their psychoses. Yes. Um, he, <laughs> it's, we don't really get to find out if it would have worked or not. No. And we're not really clear on how long it has sort of been working. Uh, and what I'm really unclear on is what that opening sequence has to do with anything or what happened or how that fits oh, into the rest of it. So we talked I, about this just before those first two movies, the sequence that happens at the very beginning of this movie. Yes, where our guy, um, Preacher, played by Martin Landau. See, the great I, Martin I, Landau. <laughs> I, I can look at things. Nice. I do have some knowledge or some ability. No, I don't. <laughs> I just look at things. Uh, he goes into the diner and basically it's the exact scene that I just described. Yeah. Dead fish. It's, it's a dream is what it is. And the reason why it's a dream is because um, at some point later on in the film, you see Martin Lando just waving around a flaming jacket and Donald Pleasance whispers something into his ear. Um, our hero asks him, hero, our, our guy asks him what he says as Donald Pleasance says, oh, I just told him that if he continues to make a fuss like this, I will hoist him up and cut him in half. Yeah, and like I so guess I figured that's his nightmare. It seems to be a threat he's made before, I guess, but yeah, I... I wonder where this image comes from. It It's weird that it's, I don't know, it's very strange. It, it's a very striking way to open the movie, for sure. Yeah. An interesting peek into Landau's mind and and how he sort of looks at the world. His character, Preacher, is a pyromaniac who uh, burned down a bunch of churches with people inside. Uh, so we're introduced to the four guys uh, who are all under max security. Uh, so there's Preacher, there's Frank Hawks, played by Jack Palance. There's uh, uh, He's a POW uh, who, I don't know, has violent tendencies. There's Ronald Elster, who's a child molester, a really big guy. He looks like he was involved in the Capitol riots on January 6th. <laughs> he looks like one of those dudes, yeah. Uh, this he, guy is yeah. Erland Van Lith. Uh, he was also Dynamo in Running Man, you know, the one who no sings kidding. opera. Yeah. No shit. I didn't. I did not recognize him. He had very few roles. So uh, Dynamo was his last role. He actually died just after that movie came out. But yeah. Oh, so wow. like a few years later, that's the only other thing I really know him from. I feel uh, like I've seen this guy everywhere, though. Yeah, he's very familiar. And I guess it's like he's very distinct looking. Like <laughs> once you've seen him, he is so distinct. Uh, and the fourth guy is Bleeder Skaggs, who we don't see for a quite a while. He's always turned away. He doesn't like to show his face to strangers. <laughs> and so all of these guys are being introduced to Dan Potter, who is a psychiatrist who's new to this hospital, uh, played by Barkley from TNG. <laughs> I don't okay. know the actor's name. Uh, so Star Wars Next Generation, this guy was a recurring crew member who's like not part of the main cast, but he shows up a handful of times and is this weird guy who has uh, some weird holodeck fantasies, I guess. That's that's his deal, at least as far as I recall. Uh, so in this, he's a psychiatrist. He's pretty new to it. He's moved here with his wife, Nell, and daughter, Lila. 
the daughter looks like she's 30. I'm sorry. She looks like she is a very short 30 year old as the glasses. It is uh, like she's weird. There, there, there was something. What if else... that's what saved her from the child molester was the <laughs> fact that she looks 30. Maybe it is. Uh, there's she she reminded me of someone that I qu- can't quite place because I remember an image of someone grabbing a girl by the pigtails and swinging them around uh, like full bodied and throwing them some comedy where that happens. And she looks exactly like that. <laughs> I can't remember what movie it is, but it's been driving me crazy. <laughs> Um, our, our guy, Dan Potter, I, in my mind, he's just Dr. Niles Crane. He is very similar looking to, uh, David Hyde Pierce. Yeah. Like very similar. Very, very similar. Uh, so these four guys think that Dan has murdered their beloved previous doctor, uh, which I gotta say, this has got to be on that previous doctor. He obviously did not give them appropriate preparation when he left no like he well we don't know that maybe he told them and they forgot or but no (laughs) yeah he he must not have i figure he must have been derelict in the sense because how do they not know i mean it's like i guess there'd be there'd be build up he'd be like okay on this day i'm leaving you guys but i'll here's my replacement yeah, they they all seem surprised. Me. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. get it. So there's there's these other people. We we meet Dan's sister Tony, who's recovering from a nervous breakdown, uh, and she comes to visit them since they now live near her, and they go to a concert where there's a blackout. Uh, they're they're at a sick fucks concert, a '80s punk band, early or, '80s hard, hardcore. Band? Yeah, they are. Oh no shit. Yeah. The sick oh, okay. fucks. They're singing a song about just kill your mother, kill your mother. They're those class. You know, it's that '82 hardcore that's pretty ridiculous, very over the top California hardcore stuff. Uh, so there's a blackout, which obviously means that our uh, four guys get out, and there's also just huge riots immediately. Yeah, this like twenty minutes after the blackout happens, it feels like there's like. I actually posted a picture in our group chat. There's like fires on the street, like burning cars, happening, burning cars. And I'm like, guys, like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, this is what happened whenever there were blackouts in the eighties. This was a thing. I just really, yeah. At least in the U S I don't know if it happened to the, the same here. Cause like there was, there, there have been a few significant Canadian blackouts during that period but i feel like that didn't happen here but yeah it's it's totally a thing that happened there there was a big one in la which probably this is based on like there was a big la blackout around this time there was a big new york one that was famous uh but obviously so these four guys get out they murder the guard which is pretty hardcore yeah yeah the uh the the uh, child molester uh fatty they call him Freaking lifts up the guy and just he full on does a Bane breaking Batman over his knee. Yeah, he breaks him in half on his knee. Pretty intense. Uh, 
And like the guy is huge, so oh, he yeah, literally he's... is able to pick the guy up and do that motion. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like this, this. He he looks like um, he he looks like a Trump supporter, but he's actually scary. He's huge. Uh, Trump Gigantic. supporters are scary too, <laughs> but in a different way. But yeah, no, this guy. I'm glad that they at the very beginning established this guy is like, no, this guy is a threat. He's not fucking around. Yeah, it's quite intense. Uh, like he, he like the the guy he picks up is not small, but he just picks him up like nothing and breaks him like wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they kill a, 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 some random doctor and steal his car and go to join the looting, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, uh, they're taking their uh, slasher weapons from the sporting goods store. Which is already being looted. Already being looted, so. Uh, um, so, like, the, the skag, the bleeder guy, uh, kills someone. still some- haven't seen his face at this point. Yeah, he kills someone. Yeah, like, he's grabbed a, a hockey mask to cover up his face so we he can be around everyone and be on screen without us seeing who he is. Because it turns out it's important that we, the audience, don't yes. see his face yet for the... Uh, which I figured the reveal, but, which I think everybody figured out. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't see his face for a while, it's pretty clear that uh, we're going to be surprised by someone who is him later. Uh, but, but he kills someone. So they ditch him. They're like, OK, you just go do your own shit. We, do, we we've got important plans. We're a military unit here. <laughs> we got people to kill who aren't him. Yeah. Uh, And so notably, when he kills someone, he starts bleeding. His nose starts bleeding profusely. And we see just blood coming out of the hockey mask, which is a cool, gross image. Yeah, yeah. I I thought we'd be seeing a lot more of the hockey mask, but Mm -hmm. I guess it's to Friday the 13th. Yeah, it kind of feels a little done, I guess. But with the blood coming out of it, that was an interesting variation. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that worked. Um. I think, yeah, I think seeing more of that would have worked a little bit better than what they did do, but yeah, I still don't mind still what works. they did do. Yeah, it, I it like works what they did. Uh, so first, the the first time they, they go to, or they show up at Dan's house the next morning, or Preacher specifically shows up, Martin Landau, yeah. uh, to, he's pretending to deliver a telegram, but Dan's out and he won't deliver it to anyone else because obviously he's just there to kill him. Uh, and meanwhile, Nell and Dan's sister go to a nuclear power protest and get arrested. Right. So they're comparing, they're blaming the blackouts on like nuclear power being bad or something. And yeah, they think there's been some sort of incident at the local nuclear power plant, and that's why there's the blackout. Because this blackout lasts through the movie. Yeah, it, it's it's going on for at least a couple days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're in jail, uh, and she's trying to reach her husband to tell him to check on the daughter because she can't because she's in jail. And it's really nice guy that they this really nice activist guy named Tom who they met at the protest uh, is like, well, hey, they she can take my space in line to make the phone call. And right. Tom. Tom's a great guy. Tom's real nice. He's very helpful. And definitely not uh, the bleeder in disguise disguise because we haven't seen his face. Definitely not him. I mean, when I was watching the first scene that Tom was introduced, I was like, okay, this guy's definitely going to be Skaggs. I don't know about you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, this is clearly Skaggs. 
Because mm-hmm. why else would we not have seen his face up until now? This guy's got to be Skaggs. Because he starts yeah. hanging out with them, obviously. Yeah, he's like their friend. But before that happens, uh, Fatty gets into the oh, house. Meanwhile. Yeah. Or meanwhile, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he claims to be the girl's babysitter. But Even though they have a babysitter already. Who's yeah. supposed to be coming. Uh, and that's actually what she was calling to do. She wasn't calling the husband she was calling the babysitter to go oh, over right there. right yeah because uh the babysitter and her boyfriend do go to the house uh shortly after this but lila's yeah. already asleep well yeah that uh, so yeah fatty is like trying to convince the girl to go up into her bedroom and obviously right. we're like this girl's dead this girl's yeah, gonna and- get molested and killed like he he's wanting to show her things to like some paper craft stuff. Uh, and it, he, it does seem like she's going to get destroyed. Yeah. He's like, do you have any scissors? That's mm-hmm. like, Oh no, 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 no. And then when the babysitter sees her, she's like in a weird position face down on the bed and not moving. Uh, yeah. This is after they've interacted with fatty and the babysitter's like, Oh, she's just sleeping. I'm going to call over my boyfriend and we're going to fuck in the master bedroom. Yeah. Uh, which is just every bit of the babysitter's decision tree is weird. <laughs> like yeah. completely insane. But that's also a very common babysitter 80s slasher behavior. Too. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, and previously the babysitter had been talking with, uh, I don't remember the girl's name. Uh, Lila. Lila. So the babysitter Bunky and Lila had been talking earlier about things that are scary. And she had said about how the monster under the bed was always what scared her. And right. while they're having sex in the master bedroom, Preacher comes up out of uh, up from under the bed and gets the boyfriend like the monster under the bed and just like yeah. pulls him under. Yeah, he literally just reaches out his hand, grabs boyfriend by the foot and drags him under the bed. Because Martin Landau's a really huge guy with big hands, and he's just like, boom. It's it's pretty great. It's very well done. Yeah, and, and then a knife just starts coming up she's through. Coming up through, and she's like moving around on the bed, trying not to get stabbed. And then uh, she finally, uh, yeah, she so finally she, leaves the room. And no, no. Fatty's, doesn't oh, she like run and jump off the bed, and then? Uh, Ronald fat guy is there like right away. Like he's just, yeah, waiting, like right outside the door. Yeah. And he just lifts her straight up off the ground with one hand. And that's the last we see of her. Yeah. She's strangled. Yes. Uh, and shortly after that, I think everyone seems to get home. Uh, like I don't like, I think that guy's already gone by the time they get back. I don't think, think so. they wait in the house for them because they all show up again later, mm-hmm. which is sort of weird. Why didn't they just stay in the house? They were pretty well positioned, I feel like. I kind of feel like Preacher maybe did because he was in the basement at one point. Mm, I but don't know I where the. He, no, no, I because he's in the basement after something else outside. Oh, OK, OK. Uh, but like, so they get home with Tom. Uh, everyone has sort of shown up Tom slash Skaggs. <laughs> uh, and they get home and the police are there too. Cause they're talking to Lila. 
And I don't know why the police are there. Maybe they called the police to go check up on the house. Oh, that could be. Because the the babysitter and the boyfriend, their bodies are not found for quite a while. They're just missing. They didn't show up is what everyone thinks. Yeah. Uh, And when... When Dan talks to Lila, he realizes very quickly that it was Ronald Elster who was with her. He's like, oh, shit, that's one of my patients. That's not good. That's uh, the giant child molester. That's a big problem. And he's like, well, maybe that. He was uh, really he nice, though. Yeah. He's like, well, maybe that's a sign that he's cool with me and and that he's doing better, that he didn't murder my daughter, I guess. But. And, you know, maybe a a different giant broke the other guy in half. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he he does know that there have been a couple bodies left behind by these guys already. Uh, And they invite the the detective to stay for dinner with them. This Detective Barnett. uh, Is he from The Wire? Because he looks like he's from The Wire. He's not. And I thought this guy looked so familiar, but he's never been in anything else. Really? I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, he looks so familiar to me. I don't know what it is. He's he looks exactly like someone, but I can't yeah. place it. Like he looks like I, I saw him. I'm like, this guy's got to be in the wire. No, but if he was, he'd be so much older. Yeah, and like, and there's nobody not, like that. It's not just the face, but the voice. Like the voice was familiar to me too, and I, I just can't quite place what it is that, like, who it is that he reminds me of. But he seems yeah. so familiar. But yeah, I looked him up on uh, IMDb, and he's been in nothing else. So I don't know. Oh wow, okay. It's just got to be somebody who looks a lot like him. Uh, but so he stays for dinner, and then they hear a noise outside during dinner, and uh, the detective goes out to investigate and gets shot with a crossbow. Oh. While this is happening, Donald Pleasance is uh, trying to reach uh, Niles on the phone and like really freaking out. Is like, is he avoiding me? Why isn't he picking up? Does he not like me? He did seem very hostile this morning. But of course, the phone lines have been cut. That's why they're they're not responding. Uh, And they don't know it yet, although they find out right now because they they see the, the detective get shot with a crossbow. They're like, oh, shit, we've got to call the police. And uh, he's on the tree. He's like stuck onto this tree. Yeah. He's just, like they the, shot the crossbow right bolts him. holding him up. Uh, so they have to barricade themselves in, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then Dr. Bain shows up. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So this is why I feel that Preacher has to have been outside because he is the one who goes after Dr. Bain with him. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does. Sort of the cover image of the movie, uh, the, the poster image. Uh, he he shows up with an axe and chops him. Uh, that's that's the end of Pleasance in the movie. Uh, and it's an interesting scene. He's like, oh, preacher, it's all right. Uh, he, he feels that he has the same power that he has when they're all when they're in the institution. Place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he feels like his his power kind of extends beyond the building, but it does not. It does not. His power didn't really even extend within the building because as soon as the electricity went out, that yeah. was that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do kind of wonder if that's sort of meant as commentary. It, it does sort of feel like he's sort of an outsized caricature of people who have really new agey ideas and want to 
uh, loosen restrictions uh, for, you know, violent offenders, I guess, and who have mental issues. It, it does kind of seem like it's making a commentary in that sense. Kind of. Just with uh, how much of a character the, the character tends to be. Well, yeah, we see him like smoking pot and he just at, at one point he just offers some to Niles on his first day. Well, yeah, uh, he he refers to it as sensimilla or sensimilla instead of uh, weed. <laughs> but it's weed. It's weed. Yes. It's a, a Jamaican way of referring to it. I, oh, I know, know some reggae. The stock of sensimilla. But so Dan is trying to explain to them that he did not kill Dr. Merton because he knows that's why they're there immediately. He's yeah. Like, guys, please, I didn't kill Dr. Merton. This is all just a big misunderstanding. Just phone the hospital he's at and he'll be there. Yeah, but obviously they're not going to do that. Yeah, somebody even says to him, I was like, do you think he'll call the hospital? And he's like, I no, I don't know. Probably not. Uh, and then the detective's body gets thrown through a window. I would presume by Ronald, the only one Presumably. who has the body strength to uh, throw a human body. Yeah. Well, uh, then, that... So then Preacher gets into the basement. So I think he breaks a window and gets in there and starts a fire. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Dan has to like go down into the basement and he beats him unconscious with a fire extinguisher and puts out the fire. It's a kind of fun, symbolic defeating of both the pyromaniac and the fire itself at the same thing. Oh, but that's right. That's when they find the body of the babysitter because yes. he stuffed him in the closet where the fire extinguisher is. Right. Yeah, and that, that's when they find I, – I think both bodies are stuffed in there. Yes. The, yes. the girlfriend – or the girl and the boyfriend. Uh, so while he's going after Preacher, that's when uh, Ronald comes in. Like he gets into the kitchen and Tom is still with them at this point and has not been outed. Uh, he's not stayed yet. I working. Like the way they do out him, though. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that that's what happens now. Yeah. So uh, he just attacks attacks uh, what Ronald? Well, Ronald attacks them, and Tom kills him. Like he fights back against him. Uh, he 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 gets him in the head, I think, with the cleaver. With like a kitchen I, cleaver. I think he got him in the back, but then oh, like just pushed him into it so that right. the cleaver stuck. Oh yeah, that was so intense. Mm -hmm. It goes right through him. Yeah, that's that. That's yeah. right. So he's uh, dead. So yeah, Ronald is dead, and then uh, Tom and Tony are hugging. And we only see Tony's face, and there's just these drip, drip of blood landing on her face. Drip, drip, drip. drip and then there's drip. a lot. <laughs> and then and then and then you see his face and of course he's bleeding it's like oh, he's the bleeder yeah and I was like, oh, ah, nobody knew bleeder. this ah. and meanwhile dan has left because like he he goes out uh oh to get to the car yeah like after ronald is dealt with he goes to get bane's car close to the front door so he's away for that so the wife kills tom Oh scabs. yeah, with like a knife, like right in the kidney. I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, Preacher wakes up again and just Kool Aid bands right on through the locked basement door. Dan has to stab him to death. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Frank shows up with the crossbow, uh, which ultimately then the power comes on at the same time as Frank arrives. And the weird. 
and the uh, cut to the TV turns itself on because, you know, all 80s TVs will always turn themselves on if there's anything relevant to the current situation happening. Well, the power came back on, so the TV well, came back on, to be fair. It happened to be on a channel where a relevant thing to the situation was yes. happening. And who happens to be on the channel? Dr. Henry Merton on the news, the guy who uh, the guy who Frank thinks that Dan killed. Because he's talking to them about the patients being missing. Yes. So they're interviewing him about these four missing patients. And, you know, Dan's like, there he is. It's live. He's there. <laughs> so Frank is finally convinced, fortunately. And then, yeah, so he... He smashes leaves. the TV in anger. Yeah. And then he leaves and he just goes to the same rock or the, the punk venue that... Uh, they went to the Sick Fucks concert at before. I think it's just another Sick Fucks concert. It could be. Uh, kicks the shit out of the bouncer to the applause of everybody. Yeah, everybody's really into it. Because we didn't talk about it, but that bouncer was a jerk. The bouncer was a total dick. He, he charges everybody just like random cover fees. Yeah. So, the, so yeah, Frank kicks the shit out of him and takes his money, and then everybody can go into the club. Yep. And it's just like, hmm. He'll be just fine fitting into society with an attitude like that. Yeah, he seems to actually fit in strangely well. <laughs> well, does he? Because uh, right after this. But he fits in too well here. That's the thing. Because, like, yeah, he pulls a gun on this lady and, like, they're dancing. <laughs> yeah, she thinks it's just like, oh, gunplay. Yeah, kind of like in, in the previous film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's just pointing the gun at her, and they're both laughing. <laughs> and then what, we hear, like, a gunshot, I think? We hear a gunshot over black, I think, but... Yes, that's right, or a scream, or something like that. Yeah, and, and we hear, like, some songs starting as well. Like, the, the... I think it's a punk track, like, probably another Sick Fuck song or something. I'm, uh, I'm so happy that's a real band. Yeah! <laughs> They're pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It sort of ends on a gag moment with like it's it's kind both of. a scare and a gag because like it's played for laughs. Frank is like Palance is clearly having fun here. Like it's it's a really weird moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not really sure what stance this movie takes towards mental health. No, it's. Uh, it's it's weird. It definitely is having fun with all of the concepts. Like th this is a zany early '80s slasher, and it's one that goes pretty hard. Like it, it does goes take. Hard. It is. It's good at being suspenseful. Like we yeah. talk about how he comes, how the guy grabs the boyfriend under the bed, but there's this whole like long suspenseful thing of he's going to check the closet, and it's like okay, the guy's going to be in the closet and kill him. But we're but focusing he, on this way too bed. long. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're focusing on this way too long. He's definitely not going to be in the closet because no payoff from the closet is going to going to um satisfy this satisfy. Much build up. Yeah. And then of course, he steps down and fucking monster arms of Martin Landau come out and just drag him yeah. to his death it's great like, there's some really tense moments too like when uh fatty is with the girl because mm -hmm. 
here's because we know about his history like we've heard details about how gruesome his uh and we know he's is. still violent yeah he's already we saw killed him two break people that on screen <laughs> Him breaking that dude was a big power demonstration for sure. Yeah, and I think we needed that to make him seem scary. To make him extra scary for sure. Yeah, because one thing, he reminds me of Steve Buscemi's character in Con Air. Um, Kind of, like the pedophile who goes and is just really sweet with this girl. But with Steve Buscemi, we never see him being evil. He never does anything like he doesn't do anything. He's like, yeah, but here like this, the first thing we see this guy do as soon as he has freedom is freaking break a dude in half. Yeah. So like we know that the girl is in danger here. Mm -hmm. It's not just implied, but she's uh, but she survived or doesn't even get molested. Yeah, nothing really happens because she. Because she looks looks like she's 30. 30. (laughs) She does act like an old kid. Like she is one of those kids who acts like she's an adult. The very common to 80s movies. She's a very Mm -hmm. 80s movie kid. And and I'm just going to choose to believe that that's what saved her. (laughs) I mean, maybe it was because, I mean, he's certainly not reformed. Oh, no. (laughs) He's a very evil guy. Uh, Maybe it was all part of the game. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's a very effective movie. It's a pretty cool early slasher because it it doesn't lean into the conventions very much it's it's doing its own thing it has the big kills but it's got a storyline and a plot and it's not just one lone unkillable guy it's a group of four different dudes yeah and they each have different quirks and issues Mm -hmm. yeah no this i as slasher films go this is Definitely, I'm going to say it's one of the better ones. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I would put it up there with uh, uh, among the best for this early wave where it, it's it's more creative than most, even if it's kind of built on what seems like a fairly basic premise, like, you know, the title Alone in the Dark and the concept. Uh, it's mental asylum, you know, the, some killers get out of a mental asylum and go killing people during a blackout. I mean, that's almost Halloween, except it's four guys instead of one. But they take it in a lot of different directions. They do a lot yeah. more with it. Yeah, yeah, because each of these guys also has their own motivation. They're not all necessarily trying to kill this one guy. Well, I guess that's Our, most notable at all. They all have motivations. Like, yeah. all of them are individual characters with realistic motivations that drive them, even if ultimately they are insane. Yeah, whereas... Which, you know, Jason <laughs> doesn't have a motivation. Jason's motivation is kill. Kill things, Michael, kill people. Michael Myers is just motivated to kill. He's the boogeyman. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas all these guys, you know, they're mentally ill. They have a history that has made them this way. It's interesting. It's it's very different in that respect. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, yep, another strong recommend on this one. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so uh, ready to move on to part three? Yeah, yeah. All righty. All right, so for our third part, I watched quite a few movies. Uh, this is going to be sort of a theme throughout the month of October. I watched 16 <laughs> movies this week. Uh, in addition to the three that we talked, or the four that we just talked about, uh, <laughs> plus a couple others that uh, are not being counted. So, 
first one uh, of our eligible entries is Child in the Night, uh, which is the third of that Vinegar Syndrome TV movies box that I watched the first two from last week. Uh, the okay. Telebox Terror. So this one is from 1990, and it's got Elijah Wood and Darren McGavin, which is pretty cool. Uh, Elijah Wood, very, very young. Uh, he's playing an eight-year-old who witnessed his father's murder and is too traumatized to be able to talk to the child psychologist about it. Uh, but it's really weird. It's got just a very strange third act, like the killer keeps coming. Well. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's very strange. It's a whodunit. But it's very leisurely. You know, the, the TV movie altogether is very leisurely and very predictable. Like all three of these televised terrors, they, they're they all whodunits. They're all ones where you you find out in a climactic reveal who the killer was. And every single one of them, the moment the character was the killer was introduced, I was like, that's the killer. I know it. It's that's the killer. It's going to be the killer. And it was every time. <laughs> like Tom's not the bleeder. Yeah, I mean, like, I could spot them every single time without the slightest hesitation. So, no, 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 it, it's, the, the chips are heavily weighed. But, I don't know, there, there's something comfortable about it. They're very cozy to watch, even though they're horror movies. Uh, but, yeah, it, like, it's a good time. It's it's silly, but Elijah Wood, <laughs> Darren yeah. McGavin, it's cool. Uh, I also watched The Astrologer which was bizarre, like so fucking weird. Uh, it's about this guy or a company that perfect astrology through NASA. Like the, because there's all these new ways of measuring astrology, like measuring astrological distances and astrological bodies and so forth. Uh, now they can really perfectly measure everything so now astrology is perfected and they can measure people's so i i keep hearing stuff moving like uh, there there keeps being stuff happening to your mic on your end yeah sorry i uh i went to push my hand through my hair and i hit the mic okay uh okay so the astrologer this it's uh the they they create this company that sort of is able to manipulate world events because they are able to tell what's going on because of their mastery over measuring astrology and astrophysics uh oh, so, and, so it is astrology not astronomy right astrology the, the horoscope one the horoscope like they're they're measuring people's potential in terms of the zodiac and how powerful they are through their star signs because of their place and location of birth Okay, okay. Interesting. And meanwhile, the Antichrist, maybe, or some form of Antichrist is rising in India, who they're trying to face off against in some sense. Well, you can't just let the Antichrist do whatever he wants. I guess not. Uh, but they sort of do. Like, I don't really get what they're trying to do about him. They're just... It's it's a very strange movie. Like it's hard to say what exactly it's about, other than this weird concept of astrology being perfected. Okay. <laughs> very very strange. Uh, it's it's from the Video Nasties third list uh, as well. It's it's one ah. of the 
list three entries. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. I also watched He Knows You're Alone, another first wave slasher. Uh, this one with a very notable appearance in it. Uh, this is Tom Hanks' first movie. Oh, very um, amazing to watch like a really little known cheap slasher and see introducing Tom Hanks. I'm like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> never, never would have thought he got his start in the, a slasher. Yeah. And it's it's very obscure. So it's this slasher about a bridal killer. The concept is he knows you're alone because uh, I remember in the trailers like I've, I've seen the trailers and trailer compilations for a while. This has sort of been unavailable, uh, but it's like the he he knows you're alone because a woman is always alone the night before her wedding. I guess I don't, I don't know if that's true. Right, exactly. It's there's certain American traditions that I'm not clear on that seem to be involved here. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't have a lot of experience with weddings, but my understanding is that nobody's ever alone. Everyone's always doing shit together. Yeah. It's, nobody's bored or gets to rest or. <laughs> yeah, yeah it doesn't really. It's not even like so the first part there, there's like a cold open where or not even a cold open, but like we see the slasher slash someone in a movie theater for starters. And then. The whole rest of the movie is him stalking his next victim. So he kills just random people associated with the bridal industry while moving towards the bride. It's weird. <laughs> it's okay. very slow. Like nothing happens. This movie is 90 minutes long. It could have been 15. <laughs> oh, God, really? It's, it's so, so slow. Tom Hanks is completely uninvolved in any of the slasher stuff. Like I, it, I would have given it a little bit more of a recommend if at least either Tom Hanks had been killed or if Tom Hanks were the killer, because both of those would make it noteworthy enough that it's a must see. Tom but, Hanks is a slasher. I want to see that movie. Yeah. But of course, like he just shows up in a couple scenes and he's kind of charming because he's Tom Hanks, but he's just a boyfriend and he doesn't really do anything else in the movie. Unfortunately. Oh my god, I'm building this movie in my head right now where Tom Hanks is a slasher. He doesn't even wear a mask or pretend he's anyone else but Tom Hanks. He's just yeah. like, I'm Tom Hanks, I'm going to kill you now. And nobody believes he's the killer because he's Tom Hanks. Yeah, and he's watch just that so movie. charming. Yeah. Uh, I also watched Blades, which was really fun. So that's the one that it's Jaws, but it's a lawnmower instead of a shark. Oh, right, right. You were telling me about this one. It's a scene-for-scene scene parody of Jaws, so instead of a beach, it's a golf course, and instead of Jaws, or instead of a shark, it's a lawnmower, and it is actually just straight one-to-one -one remake. Like, scene-for-scene, scene, they do, they have all the same characters, a lot of the same sequences, and it's totally deadpan. Like, it's a, it's a horror comedy, but they don't play the laughs, they just kind of let you find the humor yourself. All right. I don't know, it was really interesting. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, I watched Devil Story, which, whew, that, this is maybe the craziest one I watched in the past week. Uh, it's this surreal French, uh, sort of a zombie movie, maybe. Okay. So, like, it starts out, there's a zombie in an SS uniform, just killing a bunch of people. 
And then there's this lady who runs away from him and she goes to this castle and there's this really rich guy in the castle and he's like, okay, I'm going to go out and deal with this. And he's got a shotgun. And then there's this black stallion that's running around and it's opposing the zombie somehow. Okay. I'm not really clear how, but it's against the zombie. It's good. And the rich guy has a problem with the horse. So the rich guy spends the entire movie in a field shooting at the horse as it runs back and forth past him to other things happening in the movie. Uh, Also, there's a ghost ship that comes out of a mountain. There are mummies in the ghost ship. Uh, There's a magic black cat that I don't remember how exactly it figures in, but like it jumps on the lady and something happens (laughs) because like she's trying to talk to this cat and then the cat like jumps off a mountain and lands on her and uh i don't remember how that exactly fit in (laughs) it's totally surreal uh just you know zombies there's the horse there's the rich guy just constantly shooting at the horse with never doing anything else Uh, a ship just appears out of a mountain and then like some mummies come out of it and then the mummies attack. It's just like nonstop craziness. I, I don't even like it's a fever dream. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, in a similar sense, but different, I watched Oasis of the Zombies, which is also kind of surreal and dreamlike. Uh, I, I, I would describe it as dreamlike sexy nonsense okay Uh, and so it's again nazi zombies they're guarding a cache of gold in a north african desert oasis Uh, this is another entry from the uh video nasty's third list and it's a jess franco film i don't know if you've seen any jess franco or jesus franco but he makes slow kind of porny horror like there, okay. there's a lot of nudity and things are always kind of vaguely sexual but this one's really weird because it's just people randomly going to this really remote oasis in the middle of a desert and there just happen to be zombies there and when people like find all of this nazi weaponry just sitting around and like someone was like oh hey hey free gun and they'll pull it out (laughs) and then you know zombies will come and attack them very very slowly it's so weird like it's completely a vibe it's extremely bad like it's so badly made but i sort of vibed with it because it's just like experiencing a dream that someone else is having interesting i also what was this one sorry Oasis of the Zombies. Ah, yes. Oasis of the Zombies. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I also watched Jungle Trap. It's a Renee Harmon picture, her unreleased final project. Ooh. It's sort of the Renee Harmon version of The Shining, but it's shot on video and it's in a jungle instead of, like, in in the mountains. So hot instead of cold. Right. Uh, Really banging synth score. Just totally awesome synth score made for... Uh, this release of the movie, because basically uh, James Bryan, who directed it, uh, just found the VHS hanging around in his house still, and they'd never released it. So he gave it to Bleeding Skull and Agfa, and a couple of the people at Bleeding Skull created a new synth score for it that's like retro analog 80s stuff, but just really banging. Uh, 
they did their own edit, so it's not quite as logy as some of uh, Renee Harmon's <laughs> other work might be. No, uh, no mysterious random voiceovers. Uh, I don't think there's any of that. But they're, it's similar in terms of the way characters relate to each other, though. The, I guess the big difference is this is made much later, like c- close to the 90s. So some of the actors are self-aware and are okay. like playing it up a little bit and like are aware of the ki- kind of movie they're in, which is interesting because it's an array of performances. It's great, though. I, I really like it. Uh, right on. From the John Carpenter ones, I watched the next one, Prince of Darkness. Ah, you. This one, I think you were telling me a little bit about. Is this was this the one where I was like, "How have I not seen this?" Yeah. So this one is a bunch of theoretical physics students are tasked by Donald Pleasance to examine. Always Donald Pleasance. It's always Donald Pleasance. This is one of his last roles, I think. Oh, oh yeah, he's he's not with us anymore, is he? No, I think he died mid-80s, and this movie's like 86, because oh, okay. he died in between... Oh, well, maybe he died in the 90s, because I feel like he died in between Halloween 6 and Halloween H2O. Because he's in 6, but he's not well in 6. Mm. <laughs> like, he's he's clearly not doing well in that one. Uh, and I'm not sure when that one came out off the top of my head. But anyway, in this one, uh, he's... He's a priest. Uh, I believe his character is only called priest. He doesn't even have a name, but he tasks this group of theoretical physics students to examine a swirling jar of Satan. It's just this green <laughs> goo that's anti-God. Like it's All anti-matter, right. like there's anti-God. So it's it's the anti-God. Oh, cool. Uh, and meanwhile, they're receiving visions from the future in their dreams uh, but there are incomplete messages, so they don't know what they're being warned about yet. Right. <laughs> um, also, Alice Cooper's in it. He's the leader of a bunch of zombie homeless people who okay. have surrounded the church. Uh, it's pretty nuts. It's very good, but it's it's not... This is one that I've seen a lot of people really talking up over time, and I like it, but I don't feel it's quite on par with the other one like the other really big ones yet i feel like it's going to take a few watches to really get this one this is only like the third time i've watched it now but it's cool it's very interesting and that was prince of darkness prince of darkness all right uh next i watch satan's blood which is a movie where uh, this couple run into a couple old friends and it turns out their old friends have become really sexy Satanists and they seduce them. Yeah. They seduce them into a foursome. uh, And then, you know, obviously Satan. (laughs) Oh, really? He just shows up for anything. Yeah. You know, they just have like a foursome and then Satan takes over and they, uh, I don't know, there's a bunch of murders. There's, (laughs) it's, it's really weird. Uh, It just seems really easy to summon Satan. I think he just, wants to be here yeah i mean wouldn't you must be boring in hell (laughs) i don't know i'm in earth and it kind of sucks here yeah there's so many people to torment uh satan's blood very cool looking really visual it's got 
uh, the Satanists have a really fun witching table that they first play with to summon the devil, and then they have their big foursome. Uh, it's it's kind of almost porny for a while. Like it feels like a softcore movie, and then oh, okay. suddenly Satan and a whole bunch of kills. Uh, it's weird. It's got a strange energy to it, but you know, it's decent enough. All right. Uh, I also watched The Invisible Ghost, which is a classic poverty row horror from, I think, the 40s. Oh. Uh, so Bella Lugosi is just this kindly old man, but his ex-wife, uh, I guess, like, we're supposed to infer that she's dead, but I don't think she is. She's just not around, and she just keeps showing up and possessing him or hypnotizing him in some sense, and making him murder people oh it's really uh, weird (laughs) okay all right it's it's got a it's got a strange atmosphere to it but you know lugosi just randomly is uh told to murder people periodically by his wife who just like will show up outside the window and we're like i get the impression we're supposed to think she's a ghost but later on she's definitely just a person (laughs) 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 Uh, i watched halloween h2o 20 years later uh awful fucking yeah. terrible movie just so it, bad i think it was the first Halloween. it was either that or resurrection was the first halloween i ever saw oof resurrection is even worse <laughs> yeah um I, I remember not being too hot on either of them yeah they're both really bad uh, they're very 90s and they're very kevin williamson-y like again that blockbuster dialogue that we were talking about with uh with uh, happy death day to you it feels a lot like that mm. and and i guess for me the biggest problem with h2o is it's over reliance on jump scares with just like a loud bass drop and then nothing actually happens they do that so often in this movie like every oh did they do that thing where like somebody walks by and the music goes Gung! yes constantly like every five I minutes hate they that. Hate it. it's the worst thing in the world because oh, nothing because it's never any actual scary thing. Ugh, worst. Uh, I think Jamie Lee Curtis is really good in it. Alan Arkin is kind of fun as her love interest. Uh, everything else about it is pure trash. It's got the worst Michael Myers mask, too. Really, oh, really? shitty mask. Mm. Uh, yeah, awful. <laughs> Not a recommend. <laughs> Uh, I watched Retribution, which is a recommend. This movie was fucking crazy. (laughs) All right. So at the start, this painter, uh, he jumps off the top of his apartment building to commit suicide. Right. Uh, But at the very same time, someone else is being murdered elsewhere in town. Uh, And paramedics on the scene revive the painter. So the other vengeful spirit who was murdered ends up in his body and periodically after his recovery possesses him to go after the mobsters who killed him uh, and just big, wild, psychedelic uh, sequences where like he uses mental powers and turns blue and purple and uh, makes everything is like kills people in really imaginative and gruesome ways. Uh, it's rad. It's really nice, fun. Nice. Uh, great soundtrack. It's by Alan Howarth, who worked with John Carpenter on a bunch of his scores. Like he cool. collaborated on the Christine score, uh, Escape from New York, a few other ones. Uh, it's rad. Really fun. Yeah, right on. Uh, I watched Willie's Wonderland, the Nicolas Cage Five Nights at Freddy's, basically. 
Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. I mean, it's... I'll watch pretty much anything Nicolas Cage touches. True, true. Uh, it's not great. It's not quite as much as the premise would make you hope. Really? Because, uh. you know, it's it's Nick Cage doing Five Nights at Freddy's, right? But it's That should be great. Yeah, it's a video game movie in a really weird way because this obviously isn't actually based on a video game. Right. But it's structured as a video game where he gets power-ups and oh. he has mini games and it's weird. It's very strange. Uh I like it, but it's very repetitive. Uh there's kind of like three types of scenes and then you see them a bunch of times because it's it's sort of weird because he's extremely op in the video game he's like some sort of mystical janitor who cleans up bad places on the earth i guess okay all right the idea i get from the end of the movie uh yeah it's it's strange it's interesting but it's it's kind of weirdly empty. There's a lot of st- a lot of scenes that are just the same scene that you'll see at like six different times, and it's like, okay, I get it. It's interesting. Uh, like it's it's totally fun, and you know it's Nicolas Cage, and it's very easy to enjoy him fighting animatronics. <laughs> but uh, it's it's strangely quiet and empty for the type of movie that it is. It's very weird. Huh. Okay. That's true, uh, but I'll still check it out at some point, but maybe still not worth at this watching. point. Yeah, still worth watching, but probably not worth talking about for any real length of time. Maybe. Maybe after I watch it a couple more times, I might have more of a theory regarding his mystical nature. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, I watched The Forest, which is another first wave slasher. There's a whole lot of these. They they really pumped them out in the first couple years after Halloween. I guess so, yeah. So this one's one of the woods ones. It's based in the woods. Obviously, it's just the forest. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of an off-model one. So the slasher guy is a cannibal, and he is killing people to eat them. Uh, okay. And he's got ghosts with him, like the ghosts of his children sometimes warn people, sometimes lure people. The ghost of his wife shows up sometimes to, I don't know, yell at him. <laughs> And it's it's strange. There's very few characters like it's it's not it's not a high body count type thing. It's just like there's this these two women who go up ahead of their boyfriends because they have this whole battle of the sexes argument, which is very tedious. And then the women go up ahead of time and they're attacked by this guy. And then the men come up and they run into the guy. It's it's weird. Uh, It's it's pretty slow, but interesting. Interesting mainly in how it diverges from type. Okay. All right on. Uh, I also watched Who is Bill Rabane, which is the documentary on filmmaker Bill Rabane, maker of uh, exclusively horror movies, I think, or pretty much horror movies. Like, eh, I guess Twister's Revenge isn't a horror movie. That's the one about the monster truck and the Hicks. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's about him, although it's really more about his movies, which is good because Bill Rubain is kind of a turd. <laughs> oh, is he one of those? Well, he's like one of these guys who was saying that COVID was spread by 
toilet paper from China and stuff like that. He's he's a bit of a crank, bit of a weirdo, but he's an he made really weird films that they're extremely individual, extremely boring, but weird, like just full of a weird energy. Um, like most notably Monster A Go Go, where uh, the movie ultimately has no ending because they ran out of money. So. <laughs> Like literally they're just like, uh, so they, they go to a voiceover and it's like, but what if there was no monster? And that's the end. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most audacious fucking thing I've ever seen. And that's his first film. So that sort of like gives you kind of an idea of the guy's filmmaking. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it's very interesting to see them sort of examine all of his movies and how weird they are. And I'm kind of glad that it was much more just examining the weirdness of the movies rather than the weirdness of the guy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, and last thing I watched is things, which is another thing. No, this one. Well, they're things. I'm not sure what they are. They're like these little paper mache ants, <laughs> but oh, okay. big, like, you know, big for ants, right? Like, you know, size of a small dog. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's a Canadian one. It's another shot on video, like Scarborough, Ontario shot on video horror nonsense. It's very persistently weird. Like everything, everything the characters say or do is really surreal and doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there's a part where like it's these two guys, these two hosers who go back to hang out at this other guy's house. And then he's not there. Or I guess he's in a back room or something because he shows up later. And one of the dudes puts his coat in the fridge and they talk about a bunch of weird shit and don't make a lot of sense. Uh, And then the other guy shows up and his wife is there in a back room and uh, one of the things comes out of her chest and explodes and she's just, just blown all over the walls. And then like, <laughs> they're all really chill about it. Cause it's very weird the way everyone reacts to things. And one of the other ones ends up dying. And I don't know, like it's such a weird nightmare. It's very, very strange. Like just, yeah. it, it never feels like reality at any point. It's like, Eraserhead meets just really low budget version of uh, like a Gremlins or Critters or something where you just have little tiny monsters. Okay. But like with the tone of Eraserhead or the tone of a David Lynch, where it's just like, what is anyone doing? What the pe- <laughs> people are making some decisions here, but I don't know what decisions they're making. They're very strange. Uh, it's fascinating. (laughs) Like I was captivated by it, but, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly what happened or why. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) So we've got quite a plethora of choices. Uh, what do you do? We do. Uh, let's see. So we start with, we've got the top 16 here. So the first three rows and the first one in the next. All right, so uh, what? Now you said Retribution was the really crazy one, right? Retribution was a lot of fun. It was pretty wild. All right, well, tempted as I am to do Willy's Wonderland, you you kind of talked me out of it. It's probably Um, one that would be better to just like watch together sometime and then like do it as a middle one. Oh, just spend like like maybe five ten minutes on it. 
maybe like even up to like 25 because there are some interesting concepts but there's not a lot of meat beyond it because it's kind of like the same few scenes over and over again it's very unusual the way it's structured interesting well let's let's do retribution then how about all right cool retribution is pretty awesome yeah. uh and uh, so for our main film, delving into the spooky stacks, what do you figure? Well, um, there's a lot of stuff on here I'm interested so in that's kind of added. Uh, so Troll isn't anything like Troll 2, right? Right. Well, <laughs> sort of. The interesting thing about Troll, and I saw Troll much later than Troll 2. Uh, the thing is, I get, like, once I watched Troll, I understood how Claudio Fragasso came to his ideas for troll 2 like i can see little bits of the genesis of troll 2 in troll 1 but this one actually has trolls for one thing oh yeah <laughs> there were no trolls in troll 2 uh it's a john carl buchler it has really good effects work uh he he's like a big effects guy like he was an effects uh specialist and then he also started directing movies like he did at least one of the friday the 13th um i think one of the really good ones i think like six or mm, that's that can't yeah no i think it's six uh and it has so troll has uh elaine from seinfeld uh what's her name julia louis dreyfus she's in it uh the main character is named harry potter which is fun (laughs) (laughs) all right uh yeah and it's it's about a troll in an apartment building uh and it like can create greenery that sort of takes over the whole room. And then there are like little monsters in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's an unusual one. Okay. Okay. Um, now I also see, uh, they live on here. Literally the only thing I know about this movie is apparently, uh, rowdy, Roddy Piper beats up Keith David for like 20 minutes. It's like, yeah, it's like a really solid 10-minute brawl that they have. And this is really key. The reason Rowdy Roddy Piper wants to make him put on the sunglasses and why he won't put on – like, he won't put on these sunglasses, and that's why they're having this fight. Oh, that's he what wants, this is about. All right. He, he, he's like, you got to put on these sunglasses. And like, I won't put on these sunglasses, and that's why they have the big fight. The thing is, these sunglasses – have the special power of making you be able to see through the lies of uh, advertising because it's all created by aliens (laughs) who are trying to control us uh, through complacency. Oh, it's, it's super great. It's one of like, it's, it's a John Carpenter and it's, it's his really, really anti-capitalist satire. (laughs) Oh, I love anti-capitalism. Yeah, it's it's a pretty rad movie. It's and like it's interesting to see Rowdy Roddy Piper in a lead role because he's the main character of the movie. He's sort of playing a variation on Snake. Like it's like when I watch the movie, I almost feel like it was meant to be a Kurt Russell role, and just okay. like he wasn't available, so Rowdy Roddy Piper plays him instead. It's a great, awesome right movie. Okay, well, good to hear that it's good, because I've been meaning to watch it ever since uh, the video game Saints Row 4 uh, parodied that, because uh, Keith David as himself is in that game, and Rowdy Roddy Piper is also as himself in that game. Oh, nice. There's a bit where where, these aliens have trapped everybody inside of a Matrix, and they're and you have to go and rescue everybody in your crew from their own individual matrix. And Keith Davids is just him being beaten up forever. 
<laughs> and so you have to go clearly a fight. reference to yeah oh clearly yeah yeah That's so nice. yeah i've been meaning to watch that movie ever since seeing that scene so let's why don't we do that so i can finally have some context for that hilarious moment in a game that i will probably never play again absolutely yeah i there i 100 will be watching they live the next few days because that's the next carpenter anyway so 100 right excellent let's do cool, it cool. okay so next week our films will be john carpenter's they live and guy magar's retribution uh awesome these should be fun we're really getting into the spooky stacks spooky all right so uh thanks everyone for listening any last thoughts before we sign out yeah i never did get to eat my dead fish on a plate thank you donald oh, jeez and that was a good dead fish you know like yeah. high quality it was really rotted it was it was <laughs> that was some nice rot on that fish and just in Ted, in just being split in half upside down, I mean, that's no good. You don't want that. That's not what you're no, here for. No, like, come on, man. I just wanted to, oh, well. Maybe he won't be in the next diner I go to. <laughs> One can hope. Although, I got to say, it's really amusing seeing Donald Pleasance in, like, that little cook's outfit. Like, a, a line <laughs> yeah. cook outfit. There's something very oh, common yeah. about it. It's like the main image on the back of the box. Yeah, I, I love that they include it on the back because it's such a strange scene. It's like, because like because it was on the back of the box and it's the first thing you see. I'm watching the movie, it's like, what the hell? And then the whole rest of the movie, I was wondering about that scene. It's like, how does that first gonna... scene tie in? I don't get it. And I was thinking about it the whole movie. And I never yeah, understood. And... Yeah, and the closest we get is that one little bit of him whispering the thing in the ear yeah. to make us think that maybe this was a dream, but who knows? Was it a dream, or was it some weird magical thing? Because I don't know. Donald Pleasance is in every horror movie. <laughs> Pretty much, king of horror. All right, I'll uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, keep watching the stacks.